The following episode of Two True Freaks is brought to you by our mysterious benefactor, Rich, Rich Powers. Powers. Yes, Rich Powers. To say his name is powerful is both redundant and accurate. A hero, a good Samaritan, and a man with a name that says, I have enough money to buy your soul and the strength to crush to it, in, crush my it hand. in my hand. But he wouldn't because he's obviously a very nice person. Long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fantasy. Fuck Lando Calrissian. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. We would be honored if you would join us. All right, and welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 27. Now, this is the the, the show for, what is it, February? Yeah, mm-hmm. February already. And um, this is going to be a little different episode, although it's different of the same stuff. It's going to be um, more of a Marvel Comics-centric show because we've got four of them. And they sort of form the the whole Shira Bry story arc. So we're just gonna go and do all all of that. And by us, I mean myself and my co-host. I'm a person, and my name is Anakin. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You're a glop of midichlorians brought together by Darth bad guy and <laughs> some point in the past oh, I'd like God. to keep my I'd like to keep my dinner down could we not refer to medicalians please <laughs> and yes and it's you recognize that voice I'm sure as uh, the irredeemable shag who yes he's he's back with us for some more Star Wars I, I'd prefer to go by my uh, going forward my Star Wars porn name um, yes. please refer to me as Kermit Anderson going forward Kermit Anderson? Yes, thank you. Wow. (laughs) That's quite a mouthful, Kermit. I'll bet you that was a line in one of your movies. That's what she said, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So how how is is this is this is I I'm I'm guessing this is not formed in the traditional poor name manner because unless your is your middle name actually Kermit? 
No, it's uh, your your pet, your first pet, and the street you grew up on. Oh. oh. See, I had. I think I've that's always heard the... it was your middle name and the and the street that you lived on. I think that's actually the uh, the porn star thing. Not really this. I don't remember the gag for the Star Wars name, but you know, let's not pull back the curtain too far. All right. So let's see. Mine uh. would be Squirt Maine. That actually works pretty good. Hey. I like that. That's awesome. Wow. wow. You had a pet named Squirt? Yep. It was, uh, awesome it was a name. beagle puppy that my parents bought me when I was a mere infink and uh, used to piss on the rug all the time, so they named it Squirt. Way all right. Yep. There you go. How's that? That's almost, that's almost the, my favorite pet name as I had a a friend who was a fiddle player and he had a pet chicken when he was a kid and he named her Glamour Girl. That's <laughs> okay. my favorite pet name of all time. But anyway, that's so not your very Star name Wars. Is Glamour Girl what route? That would want be his. Right? Yeah, that would be his his oh, okay. <laughs> My my poor name was Grant Lansdale. My uh my Star Wars name Okay, it would be this where the street that you were born on? Oh, I don't know. Were, were you saying Shag? Or, uh, street, the, the first pet, your first pet, and then the okay. street born on. Wow. Hmm. Because right. I was born on a root, but my first name would have been Luke, because my first name, first pet was a dog named Luke. That was your first pet? Yeah. Wow, I remember Luke. Yeah. He, run, he ran away, didn't he? He disappeared. Yeah. But we had a neighbor who was notorious for making pets disappear. Now, was he named Luke after Luke Skywalker? Oh, indeed he was. I thought so. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember that dog. That's pretty cool. Hey, you know what I just noticed? I'm sitting here. I'm drinking uh, a Seagram's Escapes strawberry daiquiri, Ooh. and at the very bottom it says Seagram Beverage Company, Rochester, New York. Wow. I didn't so, know that. They're so over if you there. throw up, and the, that Seagram's would be like escaping. The, that's why I'd be scared <laughs> drinking something called Escape, man. I'd be afraid of how it was going to leave my body. Yeah, it's going to escape later. <laughs> going to use the uh, escape hatch. Oh, God, we're off in a tangent. <laughs> and right now I'll be playing the Rupert Holmes escape song. <laughs> doom, doom. All right, so as you said, you know, this month, not really any preamble, not really any screwing around. We are going to cover the Shira Bry saga. Um, what was this? Issues 60 through 63, Marvel Star Wars. But before we go into that, both Shag and I had uh, something to talk about regarding uh, uh, stuff from last month's Star Wars. Uh, actually, no, it was it last month? No, it was a month before because we didn't right. do anything for January. We we had the right. movie we, commentary. We, so, we, yeah, uh, two months one. ago, we covered issues uh, 58 and 59. I just wanted to uh, note a, an oversight of mine, something that I noticed about issue 59 that I should have caught last time around and I didn't, which was uh, the cover of Star Wars number 59 uh, is the only cover of the entire series where the, uh, the, you know, the word Star Wars on the cover of the Star Wars logo um, on every other issue of Star Wars, you know, Marvel Star Wars, it was kind of like resting on a shield. There was like an outline around the word Star Wars. But for some reason on the cover of 59, that shield is gone. And it's the only cover like it in the uh, in the entire Marvel Star Wars run. So just thought it was worth noting. I can't believe I didn't notice that before. 
Awesome, huh? Yeah. <laughs> my my, my follow comment is you have too much free time on your hands. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I I had I just had a personal uh, story to share real quick. This particular issue, fifty nine. Uh, by the way, you guys did a great job covering it last uh, on the last episode of Star Wars Monthly Monday. But hey, it, it, this particular issue um, was always one of my favorites because it, it worked really well, and I adapted it actually for the role-playing game. I don't know if I've mentioned on here before, but I played this West End game, Star Wars role-playing game, for years. Absolutely loved it. And stole this whole plot of going to buy some counterfeit uh, TIE fighters, you know, on a junk planet, and used it in an adventure, and it worked brilliantly. It's a great plot. It would make a great module for a game. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I borrowed the idea from a friend because uh, whose name was Peter, but the uh, his idea that he added to it was while, you're, while they were in the junk planet, they encountered a bunch of, uh, like, broken down droids that have been self-repairing themselves so it became land of the misfit droids and so you know it's funny there's something very similar to that in those um oh god what do you call it the coruscant night books that Mm -hmm. i just recently read and talked about Uh i want to say it was the second book shoot i can't remember anyway somewhere in one of those books um they wind up in this section of Coruscant that's like the rundown. It's like the ghetto, basically. Mm-hmm. And there are feral droids there Ooh, that are okay. sound very similar to what you're describing. So that's actually a really cool idea. I like Well, that. it's sort of like the movie AI. Yeah, yeah. That's what I pictured okay, yeah. when, I, when I was reading that part of the book. You know, that's kind of what I pictured was the, uh, yeah, something very much like the AI droids or, or robots or whatever they were supposed to be. Androids. What were yeah. they supposed to be in that movie? Androids, I guess. Uh, I guess so, yeah, because they had human form and they had artificial intelligence, so yeah. Yeah. Um, and that that just was the personal missive I wanted to share. Now, you know what? I, I'm curious if any of the listeners out there are fans of the role-playing game, the old West End games game, or maybe the TSR one or whatever. If you were, write in or put it on the message board. Let us know, because I'd like to know. Well, I got a question for you, Shay. You just brought up uh, something I'd never really thought about before, and I really should have, is that... Uh, now, I had... I may still have it somewhere, I'm not sure, but I think it was West End Games that did the Indiana Jones role-playing game. They did do uh, a version of it, yeah. Do you remember there was a module that came out, and it was an adaptation of the John Byrne issues of The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones? Oh, really? Yeah, it was that whole adventure. And it had, you know... Uh, like punch out or cut out figures and vehicles and all kinds of stuff. It was an actual adventure, you know, from that, because at that time when I, when I bought that set and owned that set, all that was available was Raiders. And then eventually um, Temple of Doom came out. So they Mm -hmm. needed more, you know, prepackaged adventures that you could play. And then they came out with, I can't remember what they called it. But it was, it, you know, when you, you know, started reading it and learning about the characters and everything, it was a pretty straight up faithful adaptation of, I think it's the first two issues of okay. that series. First two or t- first three. I can't remember. But, but anyway, the, the John two were, were, the, were a complete story. Okay. Yeah. So it was the first two and it was that John Byrne. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, you know a lot about the Star Wars role playing stuff. Did they ever adapt any issues of Marvel Star Wars to the role playing game? To my knowledge, they did not. Um, there may have lifted an idea or two that I just didn't pick up on, like maybe a character or something like that. But uh-huh. to my knowledge, they did not adopt any of the story straight over. Now, some of the fans have. Uh, in fact, we covered a couple months back, we covered that um, first issue of Pliff. 
Right. And some fans had written up some stuff that got published in TSR's online version of, of their Star Wars yeah. role-playing game uh, article. or They had a magazine or something like that. Yeah, and I've seen had written that up, referenced on Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I know what you're... Yeah. They had written yeah. up some stuff. So people, some fans have written stuff that, you know, TSR has even acknowledged, but uh, West End Games did not have any published stuff. They did adapt some of the uh, Tales of the Jedi comics later, and what else did they do? They did Heir to the Empire and stuff like that, but they didn't touch on Marvel comics, which is a shame, because there's some good stuff in here, and some of these do translate. I mean, because, you know, this is kind of... This was Star Wars for kids, even though we're adults, we still enjoy it, and it's still there's still elements you can enjoy. A lot of it was aimed at kids, and there was a very adventurous atmosphere for it, and it translates really well into role-playing. Mm-hmm. Very so. much so. Well, as I'm sure we've said before on the show, probably, you know, over and over again, I mean, this, you know, this Marvel Star Wars, you know, the Marvel Star Wars comics, that was Star Wars. You know, between the movies, that was pretty much all the Star Wars there was, you know. There was the occasional book, you know, like there was the Han Solo trilogy and the Lando Calrissian trilogy, but, you know, this was pretty much it, you know, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. And so the comics, you know, really carried you through you know on that long three years between the films so yeah i, I would have loved to have seen them adapt yeah i might have actually gotten into the role-playing games if they had done that i remember when they started coming out but i just never really i don't know for some reason that was just never really on my radar i guess because i you learned a group very, of people to play yeah play role-playing games that was it. the thing i learned very quickly when i started buying role-playing games that oh wait a minute you actually need friends to play these things so <laughs> it never well, worked West- out for me the West End Games books made even just great resources to read. So you know, if right. there's you know if there's interest from the listeners, maybe we'll talk about role playing games sometime. I would I'll put it this too. way: Scott had friends to play the role playing games with him, but he just didn't have friends who would take it seriously exactly. enough to actually play it. <laughs> yep. So it was, it ended up being this yeah big exercise, more in frustration, frustration. for Scott and yep. hilarity for everybody else. But <laughs> yep, especially his uncle Randy. Yep. Absolutely. Really like, yeah. Because <laughs> I would, I would spend hours putting together these really cool, you know, campaigns and stuff, and we'd sit down to do it, and it was just, you know. And he would have a whole, you know, you would have to fit a puzzle that you had to figure out, to, or, or something to figure out to get out of a situation, and his, you know, uncle would be just like, <laughs> "Well, I'm gonna do a shoulder roll against the wall and see if the wall falls down," and it's like. All right, well, we'll roll the dice to see if that happens, and he would get the roll every time <laughs> and just defeat any kind of. I'm just going to jump out of the plane and see if I survive when I hit the ground, and then he'd roll the <laughs> dice, and, but, you know, by some ridiculous odds, he would survive. <laughs> See, I, thought, I thought Uncle Randy was just like a, a weird nickname for Chris growing up or something. No, you know? no, he's, he's, a real, he's a real person. <laughs> We've attempted to get him on the show, and we'll attempt again, I'm sure. Oh, yes. I, I, I would. I'd still like to get him on sometime very, very to interesting. talk some, some yeah, something, Star Wars, Star Trek, whatever. Well, what do you think, guys? You ready to dive into this? You want me to, you want me to start? Please. Before we okay. do that, i got to tell you a funny aside. Sure. Uh, I, I recommended to a friend that they listen to um, the Pliff episode that we did a while back, uh-huh. and he listened to it, and he called me. He's like, dude. I'm 90 minutes into it, and you guys haven't started talking about the comic yet. What the hell? <laughs> Welcome to Two True Freaks. So, yeah. Anyway. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away.
there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. All right, uh, we're going to start out with uh, Marvel Star Wars number 60. And of course, we'll start with the cover, which I think is a beautiful um, um, Simonson cover. But of the four that we're going to do tonight, I think it's the weakest cover of of all of them but still it's a pretty pretty cool shot of uh you know Luke and uh, uh Shira and a couple other you know sort of red shirt looking one guy looking suspiciously like George Lucas you know rebels hold sort of holding <laughs> off a bunch of of weird bug like aliens with spears and Luke has his you know lightsaber out in the classic defensive pose so this is a uh, June 1982 issue it was uh now i know mine have been like maybe direct sales but mine says 60 cents on the cover and we got dave michelini's script um of course simonson pom <coughs> simonson <laughs> palmer art lady <laughs> <laughs> joe with the glavin letters uh glennis wine color al milgram editor and jim shooter is credited as grand moth in this one so we're going to start it all out we've met Shira Bride just as sort of a walk on character who gets you know Leia's knickers in a bunch but that's about all we know about her but we're going to learn more because this is Shira's story she gets my knickers in a bunch too by the way mm-hmm. nice. um, so so Luke leads a raid on uh, Spindrift. It's a it's an Imperial outpost, and they use the refurbished Tie Fighters that they bought last issue. And uh, as he and uh, Shira gl- gloat about it afterwards, they're they're informed that they have obtained secret coordinates for a huge Imperial armada that's being built. So uh, back on the secret Rebel base on Arbra, Luke and Shira plot with Princess Leia to attack this armada. 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 Shira announces <laughs> Ramada that, uh, Inn? <laughs> to to attack the Armada Inn. Shira announces that with uh, their permission or not, she has to go back to her homeworld to sort of finish some, you know, unfinished business. And um, um, if they want her to come back, you know, in time for this attack, she's going to need the return coordinates for Arbra, which apparently, which is as a good idea, are. Uh, a top secret um and princess leia says no way nobody gets those coordinates even if we gave them to you you know we trust you but you could get tortured or whatever but uh so luke um sort of comes up with a plan that he has he knows the coordinates so he'll just accompany her and and you know she can follow him back when she needs to come back because they don't want to lose her because she's such a good fighter and they're gonna need her in this this big battle so once again Leia sort of gets a little pissed off at at uh you know the relationship between Luke and the the seemingly blossoming relationship between Luke and uh Shira so she agrees to the plan and and off they go uh meanwhile at the uh, Imperial Armada we find that uh that they refer to a spy they have on Arbra who has told them of the uh, imminent attack 
And uh, basically, the Imperial commander there says, bring it on. You know, I'm not scared of any puny little group of rebels, which by now he should know that that's just the kiss of death in Star Wars. So Luke, Sheer, and some guy named Wald, which is just sort of like, oh, let's just take the O off and go with that. Arrive at <laughs> Sheer's planet. What is it? How is it? Would you would say it was pronounced Shalivane? Sh- uh, where the hell is it? Yeah, Sh- Yeah, I guess. Shalivane. So. It sounds like it sounds like a, like the name of a road and like a housing development. Fifteen fifteen Shalivane Court. So so as they go to land there, they find that it's like it looks like a long ruined and you know beat up and abandoned planet, and uh, they follow Shira to this weird like sort of Stonehenge shrine where she sort of kneels down and spills a drop of her blood. And, you know, while they're trying to figure out what the hell's going on with this, uh, they're attacked by this marauding horde of orange humanoid bug-like creatures. And uh, these are the, you know, roaming nomads, Shira tells them, that her people battled basically until they were wiped out when the the nomads sort of sold them out to the, the Empire telling them, you know, that, that her people were pl- plotting against the Empire, so the they bombed out her uh, her city. So Shira's family had died, and, and she sort of survived by escaping into the sewer system and, and hiding out. So uh, outnumbered by the nomads by, like, a huge proportion, Luke has R2 sort of locate, you know, an uh, area that might be some of the sewer underneath them so maybe they can escape but uh you know they they blast it open but it it, it shows that it's unstable when Shira jumps down and you know it just sort of collapses behind her so Luke just figures you know she's crushed so um just when the horde is about to to overtake the group and and as a last resort, Luke's pulled out his lightsaber because all their their lasers are, you know, are, uh, blasters are dead. You know, an X-wing flies over, blasting at the horde and, and scattering them all over the place. And of course, it's Shira who made it into the tunnel and it collapsed behind her. But you know, she was able to make it to her ship and and save the day. And uh, afterwards, she and, and Luke have a nice little mushy moment where they where they touch hands and gaze into each other's eyes and then we're told next screams in the void (laughs) so that mushy moment doesn't appear to be uh long lived so yeah i i found this to be a very uh I, I don't want to say stand, it, standard Star Wars story, but it has it's a standard Star Wars story for the comics. I could totally see this being a Carmine Infantino era. Really? Issue. Wow! Yeah. Really? Yeah, like, do you wow, mean that as really... a compliment or a or a bash? No, as a compliment. No. Oh, okay. I mean, okay. I I I think this just had a, has a lot of elements that sort of evolved as Star Wars elements in the comics more than um in say the movies themselves like the primitive societies or the primitive what? society the sort of um you know the a little bit of the sword and sorcery uh, well not sword and sorcery but it's it it, it 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 reminds me of sort of a good version 
of um uh, now I can't remember the stupid name of uh of the 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 the, the one I, I think you were on board for that episode too, Shag. The one where the, it was basically a John Carter Warlord of Mars story. I was not there for that one, but I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. It was uh, that that must have been uh it was must have been Josh Bertoni was. I, I think it was. Some somebody was one one of you two was on board for that one. <laughs> wow, but, we're interchangeable. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I have like, a hard time telling you two part. <laughs> this little Star Wars Lego looks just like the other. <laughs> we just we just click them out and move them in. But see, I, I would say that you know, the the primitives. I think it falls more back on like say the sand people kind of thing rather uh-huh. than rather uh-huh. than a sword and sorcery yeah. type of thing. I kind of see where the, the the original Star Wars threads are there, and I would even say at this point, like, you know, while Carmen Infantino was like the gold standard before, I'd say that you know Michelini and, and Simonson are now the gold standards. So oh I'd yeah, say this is a, a yeah. cut above them. Oh yeah, well this was this was basically I this is why I started getting them again because I liked uh, the, their their art a lot, and, but then when I saw this I was just like, um, you know nothing against Carmine Infantino, but this looks more Star Warsy, you know it mm-hmm. looks it looks like you know more like it would leap off the screen of a real Star Wars movie or or off the storyboards to a Star Wars movie, or something like. Or, or something like that but i i don't know maybe it's the way it tells this the story you know and uh you know and the i i don't i don't know but that's just the the total total impression i got but of course you know i mean what's there not to love about the art in this this particular issue there's oh just, yeah it's gorgeous it's just, yeah it is it, it's I mean, it's, yeah. It's funny you mentioned this is like the weakest of the of the covers, but like of the four issues, yeah, it is the weakest of the four issues. But man, I would take this cover over half the covers in the Star right. Wars run. It's it's it, oh, you know it's like hell yeah. wow this this is the this is the ugliest gold bar I've ever you know seen. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, yeah, I know I didn't want that to come off as a slam, but it's more of like. I mean, the next three covers after this one oh, wow. are so like are iconic and classic. You okay. know, uh, this this one just seems well. I I guess what's happening on this one is a little more mundane. You know, it's it's basically, it's it's Luke and a, a bunch of rebels on an adventure. You know, and we get a little backstory of Shira, or you know, of of how she came to. Or at least you know what happened to her planet, and uh, you, you actually you get more um, mystery than you do actually getting any sort of insight into Shira, because you know I mean it's really weird, you know, just sort of like what's up with this sort of weird blood spilling Stonehenge ritual, you know. You know, going on this. This was the thing she was going to leave the Rebel Alliance and Luke for, was to come here and and drop some blood on a shrine. You know, is it a symbolic act? Was there something really behind it? It's just, it's just weird. You know, well, it's wasn't what, it this issue that I can't remember? Is it in this issue that she tells why it was because her people and yeah, her people she got just, slaughtered and her her 
folks got killed, right? So she comes here like on the anniversary of the attack or something like right, that. Right, yep. right. Yeah. But it that doesn't that doesn't really wash because it's like I mean literally, yes, you know, you do stuff like that, but when you do something like join the Rebel Alliance, you know, I, I assume it's something maybe not as enforceable as, like, say, joining the army. But it's like going someplace and spilling a little blood on a shrine on a planet and risking death by the, you know, untold horde of people and then involving, you know, one of the top, re the, arguably the top reg rebel pilot in in you know, accompanying you there and then endangering him in an attack by, you know, bug marauding bug hordes just doesn't, it, you know, it seems way too much to risk for a symbolic act. You know what I mean? Well, it just, it, 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 it to, to me, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't wash right when she said, it's like, okay, we went through all that, you know, to 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 break that you i mean you could have a moment of silence in your quarters you know and of deep meditation or something you know you what know, i mean you know, you know what chris just back off man all right shira <laughs> is a valiant proven member of the rebel alliance if this well, is we, important to her we know why you I mean, come stand on. up for her, shag we know What's why that? you stand up we know why you stand up for her, shag just like luke because does. you got hot pants for her yeah, but I'm just saying, she's a good guy, she's on our team, and this is important to her. She didn't make Luke come. Luke volunteered to come, you know? She didn't put him in the middle of the situation. No, but she could have at least said, hey, you know, it's kind of a crazy, stupid thing to do, and and I don't want to be responsible for, like, completely destroying the Rebel Alliance if you get killed in some stupid thing like this. You know what I mean? Well, I notice here... I noticed that you know Leia, uh, Leia's objection to uh, giving Shira the code so that she can leave and come back was that you know we we can't risk divulging it to you since you don't already know it because you know what if you get captured or something you're you're right. basically you're a security you risk if you get tortured for the information. Yet, you know, within a couple panels, Luke's like, well, I already know it, so I'll go along with her. And Leia's not like, oh, you can't go either. You are, you know, you have it. You know, and she just lets him go. So that that one was a bit of a, I don't know, not, I won't say error or anything. It was a little bit of a stretch when you think about it. It was like, oh, wait a minute. You know, I why thought, I the thought same Leia let him go work, a little so. too early. Yeah, I thought she yeah. let him go a little too easily. I mean, you know, I mean, especially since she has some weird, even, you know, on top of it, she's got the weird little going on on top right. of just the logical reasons for for um, not letting Luke go or at least objecting a little bit. You know? Well, with all, all my kidding aside, I mean, I think what's going on there is Leia definitely would have stopped Luke. If there wasn't jealousy, like she knew if she played the no, Luke, you can't go. You're too valued. It would totally be like way too jealous. And it yeah. would just come. There's no way she could deliver that line. OK. I. I OK. I don't know. That's I'll that's kind of that. that's acceptable. So I want to mention an overall comment about this issue. One of the things I really loved about this issue was um, the one and done kind of sense of it you know it's it's a it's right. a self-contained story it's one and done as i said and but at the same time it's really continuing this larger arc with the tie fighters 
and there's seeds planted in this story we don't even know will uh, pay off, you know, in, in an issue or two. Not until Absolutely. we get there. Absolutely. All right, so now let's uh, let's take a look at the book page per page because that's kind of how my notes are laid out. Um, I want to start right off with the cover, and and Chris kind of stole one of my notes right off the bat with uh, the George Lucas looking rebel on the cover. Now that's how I always referred to this guy and always thought of this guy as well. That that's their little George Lucas homage of a character in there. Well, it turns out, and I can't believe it never occurred to me before, but the guy's name is Wald W A L D. That's Walt Simonson. See, that's totally what I thought. Like, yeah. uh, first of all, you see the guy. He, he, he can't help but he jumps out of you because he's wearing freaking glasses. Yeah. We've never yeah. seen anybody in the Star Wars universe wearing, wearing glasses. glasses. Oh, that's a good point. I never thought about that before, but I think you're right. Yeah. So that jumped out at me immediately. You, and then the beard, I'm like, huh? You could, I, you I, could maybe write it off as like flight goggles or something from his <laughs> X-Wing or something. <laughs> he just always wears those flight goggles. <laughs> I never once considered that it could have been Lucas. The whole time I thought, that's got to be Walt. So that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> also, uh, we, we have gotten it before, and I think we'll get it at least one more time in the future too, but the the Star Wars logo on the cover is transparent, which is always – I always like that kind of thing. With the hey, logo. and it's got a white outline. Yep. Better mark that down in your little book of <laughs> Star Wars logos. Right. That's <laughs> No, he has a special symbol that he puts next to it. So. Right, right. In his database of Star Wars Yeah, wait Wars till logos. we get to number 63. That's got a confounder in it, too. Yep, it sure does. Ooh, well, it does. My first note on this one is just the, the splash page. I think this is a gorgeous splash page. It's just, it's dynamic. It starts right out with uh with tie fighters attacking and it and when i look at this and my note for this one was just now these are tie fighters because they're perfectly proportioned they look good they're super detailed i mean in a lot of ways i can look at them throughout the issue these you know the the tie fighters and the x-wings that we see later and go okay you know he had the toys as reference because i can almost see you know, like the push buttons for, you know, where the toys would do things, you know, make noises <laughs> or the wings would pop off or whatever. But still, not a problem for me. You know, that's fine. So long as he's photo reference or, you know, referencing, I mean. The way they're know. laid out, you get a real feel of the way TIE fighters roll and tumble when they fly, you know. Right. I was thinking the same thing, yeah. Yep. I noticed. Which has uh, seemed to be something that really, like, was really tough for Carmine Infantino to get. <laughs> Not to pick on Carmine Infantino, but I mean his Tie Fighters were always sort of, just sort of there, you know, or or just sort of trucking along. These ones look like they're, you know, they're rolling and tumbling like a Tie Fighter does, banking and yes, and cha chaum. I mean, I, I, that's a good. You can, you can hear the yeah, yeah, as, exactly. as you look at the panel. Yep, I love it. I think it's interesting the. You know, as you go on the next few pages, I mean, they dedicate three pages to this attack. Yes. And, and they've sprinkled throughout these, like, these two goofy Imperials that are, you know, kind of, it's almost like a little Laurel and Hardy type thing. They're, like, constantly yeah. on the run trying to avoid the attack. It's kind of funny. They're, well, they're, they're sort of they're like your guides through it, you know. Their, their escape sort of gives you the whole layout of the attack until it's over, you know. Right. Oh, that's true, Yeah. They talk the entire way through getting blowed up. I, think I love it. Well, that's what people funny. always do in comics. They'll actually being there's actually a guy that he's being he's being launched through the air, head over tea kettle, 
and you know, and an explosion, and and he's saying someone high up must be real mad. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say when I'm flying upside down through the air. I think <laughs> it's funny. I think it's funny they're convinced Darth Vader's ticked off at them. Yeah, yeah. That's well, why the I mean, happening. that makes total sense, and and that's a great little comedic subplot. It's just like, oh, you know, we've angered the gods. <laughs> <laughs> I love. There's a nice callback of sorts here at the bottom of page two, where one of them says something about, "I told you not to use the priority frequencies to call that female on a do before," and I thought, "Oh, that's a callback to the early stuff," but. That was a Duba three, but it's still funny to see a Duba mentioned, you know, yes. from way, way back with the with the Han Solo. What would what did we call that? Magnificent Seven storyline yes. or whatever. Yeah, yes. I knew I knew the name of Duba, but I couldn't place it. Thank you. <laughs> I really like this vehicle. It's what you page. smoke before you read the comic, <laughs> man. <laughs> There's that vehicle on page three that looks like a like a lawnmower with the leaf catcher on the back of it. Yeah. I can remember stuff like that in these comics <laughs> bugging me when I was a kid. I was like, why are there wheeled vehicles in Star Wars? But then they ended up having wheeled vehicles in the prequels. So I guess I got to let it go now. <laughs> I thought I thought that the, the name for the base, Spindrift, is a really, that's a really cool Star Wars-y kind of name. Yeah. And, and the base itself is really funky. You don't really get a good look at it until, like, I don't know, the fifth or sixth page. But it's actually, there's this enormous ravine I mean, it's just this ravine that goes on forever, very straight. And Spindrift is like this craggy little area stuck that's kind of jutting out of the ravine. It's really strange. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what pages. My, my, my pages aren't numbered. One, two, three, six. four, five, six. Yeah, the sixth page, top right-hand side, you can get a good look at it. It's yeah. it's really interesting. I don't know how, if you guys could describe it differently than me. I'm, but it's, well, it's funny because it doesn't, like, when you see it, you see all sorts of close-ups and stuff. That's the first time you see how it's sort of laid out. Before that, it was reminding me a little bit of, like, Space 1999, you know, the moon base alpha-looking sort of thing, like where it was built on a in a crater or something. And then on page six, you see it's like, oh, they're on top of a mesa in a canyon, you know. There you go. That's a good and, way to say it. That was something I meant to look up, and I keep forgetting to do Dr. it. Enigma. Is Simonson worked on Marvel's Battlestar Galactica comic, and I'm wondering, uh-huh. was that prior to this or after this? I really don't remember. I'm assuming it's before, because I think he goes pretty much straight from it this. Could to actually Thor. be during, couldn't it? It could no, be. No, it could the, actually. The Galact- yeah, it could be. No, the Galactica comic would have been over by this point. The Galactica comic came out not too long after the series, and, uh-huh. the, and, and the comic only lasted. I don't know, 12, 13 issues, something like that. So it would have been over by by this point, wouldn't it? I don't Cause know. Galact- Galact- yeah, because Galactica was, what, 78, if I remember right. I could be wrong there. Geeks are probably screaming at their... Ah, it, yeah. was, it was August of 77, 79. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> and then you, you had Galactica 80 after that. But um, I think you're right. was done, yeah, I think you're right. was done by a- then. Yeah, I forgot about Galactica 80. Don't forget yeah, about Galactica 80, man. Oh, this yeah. is 82. So, yeah, that comic was long done by then. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. You think? See, I'm looking <laughs> at some covers here, but none of the covers, get, they give months, but they don't give years. So, but yeah. Chris clearly stated it was the, it was the June 1982 issue at the beginning of the Wait, podcast. Here's, all right, here on the cover of number 20. See if I can enlarge this here. It's 20. Battlestar Galactica went to 20? Yeah, I think it went to 20, like three. Or, okay. 
This is Simonson, dated 680 on the cover. So yeah, this he was. This was way before Star his Star Wars stuff. Did he do any of the Star Trek stuff for Marvel? He did a cover or two. Okay. Because that really cool one of the of the Enterprise with the shields up getting pummeled by like asteroids or something. I'm pretty sure that that's a Simonson cover. I'm almost positive. He's good at anything. Oh, I love Walt Simonson's stuff. He's a hell of an artist. Yeah, he's one of my he would be one of my like top five artists of if I had to make a list. Didn't did he do yeah. any interiors on Star Trek, Chris? Do you remember? I don't remember any interiors. There was a time when he was doing just tons and tons of of awesome covers and he would do a lot of like the um pin up pages like on the on the uh you're i'm sure you're familiar with the doctor who marvel premiere i think they were i was just about to say i was gonna i'm glad you brought that up i was gonna say yeah he did a lot of those covers and he did a lot of really cool pinups in those of um and i can't remember what the name of the race was that looked sort of like sigmund the sea monster you know what i'm talking about he did a zygon pinup yes that to this day, and I, I wrote him about this not too long ago. To this day, his his Zygon pinup is how I picture Zygons because it uh-huh. was so action oriented. It was great. He did these great shots of Tom Baker and Lala Ward yep. and Leela and Unit. And yep. turns out he um he had never even seen Doctor Who at that point, hmm. which is crazy. He'd never watched the show, but he still did those wonderful pinups and covers. That sort of captured the characters like he like he was a fan or something, you know. They captured the essence for sure. Absolutely. That was yeah, what Marvel pr- premiere is that what it yeah, was? Premiere, like I think fifty-eight through sixty, maybe something like and that. And I remember yeah, getting those. Go, yeah. And I love the the because those were probably reprinted from the British like weekly, correct? You know, comics. And I love the art that they would the, the, that that stu- very like finicky, um, heavy inked, very detailed art that they would have in it. And that was yeah. before I knew who Walt Simonson was. But I remember like just remembering that the covers of those Doctor Who's stood out from you know a lot of other covers I would see. You know that they were just. And and now I know it's it was Walt Simonson. What crap? Did it. I don't have the one According, you guys are talking about though. The one where it shows him when he's he's like walking out of a tunnel or something, and the TARDIS is behind him. Well, the yeah, I can send it to you later. It's I've I've got it on Once Upon a Geek. Um, it's it was actually inside the book was where most of the cool pinups were. He did a he did a cover oh, or two, okay. but the inside he they did all kinds of fun pinups. By the way, I'm looking on the comic book database website, and it looks like he only did the cover for. And you were sending it just a second ago, Scott. Star Trek 17 looks like yeah. he didn't do it. Looks like he didn't do any interiors. Yeah, but that cover is gorgeous. That would make a hell of a nice like T-shirt or poster or something, because it is. It's really cool. It's the it's the Enterprise canted at like an angle. And the shields are up, and all these like meteors or asteroids or something are bouncing off the shields. And there's little like headshots of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy looking on. It's really cool. I like that. That is a good cover. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, man. Getting like back said, to everything. <laughs> good old Walt Simonson. <laughs> oh, I love Walt. We love you, Walt. We need to try to get him on here at some point to talk about uh, the Star Wars stuff if we Yes, possibly. we do. <sighs> that would be awesome. That would be. I would love that. Um, um, let's see. I have a few more of the things here. Uh, actually, more uh, just a couple of notes and a couple of little nitpicks. Um, the whole thing where they go back and Luke is challenged on the radio 
where mm -hmm. it says tie squad identify yourselves or be blasted into the next quadrant and i'm thinking now i know that they have transponders yes in star yeah. wars why the hell aren't they using them so that was one of those things that just kind of jumped out at me well I, I, thought when, I thought the same thing when i read that i thought the reverse like well wouldn't it be smarter if you don't have the transponder thing to wait for the tie fighter to send send the signal first Right. Otherwise, you're just kind of advertising. Hey, Imperial. Yeah. yeah. We're That's down good... here. <laughs> That's an excellent point. Yes, yeah. you're right. I'd wait for the Tie Fighter first to go. Flying Benthos never sleep and go. Oh, hey, Luke, what's up? Come on. Yeah, yeah. You're right, though. That's a good. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, they just totally gave their position away when they could have just been like, "All right, everybody, shut up." There's Tie Fighters <laughs> over here. Yeah, well, this is the double secret probation <laughs> base that they've got. You know that they won't even tell anybody, but just the few, two or three, you know, the coordinates to, and yeah. <laughs> They basically like set, shoot a flare up at them or something, you know. <laughs> I had this giant nitpick all prepared about, you know, Leia doesn't want to give Shira the coordinates for the base and everything. So I'm like, well, how the hell did they all get back then? But then I guess I got to think, well, I guess they could have just followed Luke as team leader since he knew the coordinates. But still. yeah, well, there could be they could have a couple they could have a couple people who are the navigators who navigate one ship and then they just tie all the other ships maybe into that ship's navi computer. Right. They, there. Sl they just slave to Luke's tie, and I guess is yeah. how you do it. That yeah. actually leads to a nitpick, but I'm going to come back to that in a, in one of the issues we're about to do. So I'll hold on to that thought for now. Um, I got a couple Shira comments. Yeah, go ahead. I bet you do. <laughs> I love that. I love that she calls Luke ace. I just think that's cool that yeah. she has like a nickname for him. I don't know why, but it just, it kind of it helps forward that relationship without doing much. Just the act of her saying that it uh it pushes that relationship forward for the reader, and I like that. Well, the, um, she's got that she's got that um, tomboy chum, mm -hmm. you know, who wants to make out with him thing working, mm -hmm. you know. Absolutely, I think part of my my sickness towards her comes from the fact that she's sort of a, a dirty redhead it's you know brunettish yes, red a dirty dirty redhead and um, dirty girl she is I, I got a thing for redheads i mean mara jade and, and you know i married i married a gorgeous redhead it's just i'm just saying I, I think i i think i have a defense there it's the redhead defense but <laughs> on page eight i'd just like to say who jibs mm -hmm. yeah the, it looks like the who jibs are hanging out at ups what's going on here <laughs> Dude, doesn't the guy totally look like what a UPS delivery guy in Star Wars yeah, would look like? Yeah, totally. Well, <laughs> totally. those two, those two guys, those two guys are. Uh, that's another thing that I'm thinking. Maybe there's some sort of reference or inside joke or something because they totally look like. Hey, look, it's Joe working slob and you know Henry Billy from Billy Poughkeepsie. <laughs> yep. And you know for a fact that that package with a little arrow is next to his hand says this end up. Oh know. yeah. But I love I love the hoojibs just hanging out in the shoulders and it, and it's bringing back that sadness in me that I want a hoojib to be real. So mm -hmm. anyway, just think, man, if we live, <clears throat> excuse me, if we live long enough, they'll genetically engineer hoojibs at some point. I'm 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 convinced of it. I'm, for that I'm matter, just that. just get if yourself, we have anything just get to yourself do with a it. rabbit and just staple if... one of those like <laughs> on the top of their head. You'd be all right. One of those Whoville curls on it. <laughs> yeah. <there you> <laughs> All the hoochips down in Whoville, they say. Yep. 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 You can you can uh you can use a series of little clamps like in a clockwork orange to make a bunny's ears a little bigger or eyes a little bigger, you know. <laughs> yeah, it could be easily done. 
PETA loves you, Chris. <laughs> yes, PETA does love me. <laughs> All right, the, the funny I... thing is, the other day I was on, I was sit, hanging out on the floor, petting a petting a bunny that just like hangs out at my drummer's house. So uh, it's almost hujibi, hujib like, hujibi, hujibesque. You need to add, you need to add that to Wikipedia as, as an adjective. Hujibi. <laughs> we have rabbits like, like crazy at work. I'm gonna the next time I see one, I'm gonna name it Pliff. What is it with what is it with rabbits in in the Star Wars comics? This is the second, uh, like you got Jackson and now you got <laughs> Hujibs and. Well, so much is based on animals, you know, in Star Wars that it's yeah. you know it's bound to happen sooner or later. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We've had a porcupine, you know. When you get you get you know, the Mon Calamari later, and you get yeah. you know so much. So, I. I I was going to jump forward, um, uh-huh. and, and I don't know. If, I hope I'm not stepping on your toes here, Scott. And if I am, I'll just stomp really hard on him. Um, <laughs> they show the Armada, um, yes. and this this it's not a Super Star Destroyer, but it's something like a Super Star Destroyer. It's actually an original design done here yes. by Simonson, and I think it works really well. It looks really cool. It looks different than a normal Star Destroyer, but I but think Star it fits. Wars-y. Exactly. Yeah. If you look at the first picture that we see of it on page nine, it's yep. almost a full page splash, except it's got a little panel at the bottom of it. Right. Mm-hmm. That shot right there, if you look in, it's either the Star Wars or the Empire Strikes Back sketchbook. There's a uh, one of those conceptual oh. designs for a Star Destroyer before they, they finalize the look. And this is almost completely ah. taken from that, but it's a little bit Simonized, if you know what I mean. But yeah, Simonized for your protection. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know Simonsonized, exactly. I should have said Simon, not yeah. Simonized, Simonsonized. But uh, yeah, I like it because it, it it's almost like you know this guy's got his own souped up version of a of a super star destroyer or something. It's really cool. I love the you know design what? of this. Could You're he be the, any more of a stereotypical imperial general though? He even like <laughs> places one hand splayed on the table while he makes a fist with the other hand. Then I, let them. I actually really like this guy as a villain, just because he's yeah. he, he he. I mean, yes, he is totally campy and totally, you know, stereotypical. But that's kind of why I like him. I think he's like he's an original Star Wars baddie that he's he's amusing, but he's no threat because you know he's just. I mean, once you put your hand down on the table, put your fist and go, let them attack. Yeah. Uh, they are nothing compared to the size of this. And you look at the dude and you go, dude, you know. You, you know, you're no Grand Moff Tarkin, man. You know, yeah, that's just line. A, you are a badass, but you're not that badass. There are easier ways of committing suicide. Yeah, or, I'm sorry. The only thing they'll learn from attacking my fleet is that there are easier ways of committing suicide. It's a great cool. line. Uh-huh. Yeah. But you're right. It totally makes him a you know, hubris. He's he's totally going down. You know yeah. it. <laughs> I don't want to be a spoiler. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm spoiling when I say when I, re- when I read him saying that, that I pretty much knew what was going to happen to his armada <laughs> at some point. <laughs> It just occurred to me that this is pretty much why I expected Grammel from Splinter of the Mind's Eye would look like, was something very much like this guy, kind of a fat, toady, imperial guy, you know? Oh, I always pictured him as, as kind of skinny and uh, um, very Nazi, like yeah. scrawny, like... Oh, I didn't imagine. I didn't imagine him very Nazi, but then I thought the book said he was kind of beefy. Doesn't doesn't maybe, it? Or does it not? Maybe, but remember. sometimes I'll ignore the book. 
<laughs> and I make the characters look the way I want them to. This character should look the way I imagine it. Yes. <laughs> By the way, I, I want to go back real quick to what Scott said about that sketchbook. Scott, I know exactly what you're talking about. I have that sketchbook, yeah. and I know the pictures you're talking about, and I'm sitting here slapping myself on the head for not realizing it. And I'll bet you that sketchbook sat around either Simonson or Palmer's house or the Star Wars offices and got used over and over because several, you know, about, I don't know, 20 issues from now when they introduced the Mandalorians, they totally took the idea from that sketchbook where there were several super commandos is what it was. Yes. In the yes. And it's like, oh, wow, okay. There so. would be the only things you would have for reference, you know. You would have yeah. to almost, you know. I mean, I mean, go, I mean, you know, we catch enough continuity mistakes as it is without references like that. Can you imagine what these, these if if they didn't have all that stuff, it would have been like it would have been like the um, gold key Star Trek comics where they had nothing to go on, you know, and nothing looked like it did. You know, sometimes the Enterprise was would be completely wrong, you know. So, yeah. I can only I can only imagine they they like I I would hope that like Lucasfilm would like send them but I'll bet you like it was more like they'd send you know some toady down to Walden Books and be like go see if there's any new uh <laughs> Star Wars sketchbooks out. <laughs> All right, Lucasfilm was pretty good about it. like when Timothy Zahn sat down to write Heir to the Empire they actually sent him a box full of the West End Games role playing games from Lucasfilm. They said, "Hey, Use this stuff. We like this content. Mm, well, and that's so, what I mean, Lucasfilm they... should do with us because it would make our <laughs> podcast a lot more accurate. Just, just saying. I'll get in the phone. Hey, with, one of uh... one of us does our homework. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that up in the air. Which right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> what else you got, Shag? Um. Okay. Going on when when they when they land on, um. Shale, uh -huh. Yeah, thank you. That's where I was going. You know, the, after they land and they're walking through the ruined city, what in the fuck is that giant, like, horse for eight legged statue looking thing? I was thinking it was almost a skeleton or something, it seemed like. It was like, is that like I don't know, the maybe remains of some giant, you know, tick creature or something? It's just weird as hell. I mean, yeah. it's, it, and I don't. I'm I'm reading from the reprints in the uh, the long time ago, trades from a few years back. So it's it's very boldly colored purple in this. I don't know if it's off color. Oh no, it's it's no, gray it's, in the yeah. original. Yeah, it's okay. kind of subtle in the original. It kind of sticks out here, so it's like, whoa, wow, what the hell's that? Um. Anyway, that just. I think I have me. an idea what it may be, but I don't want to spoil ahead. But I, okay. I I'll, I'll point it out when we get there. In a little bit, I have an idea. I didn't really even take notice of it, to be honest with you. But now that I see it, I, I have an idea what what it may supposed to be. Um, um, a few other random comments on the art, like I I really dug the way the nomads looked. I thought that Simon they're, they're very Simonson with no nose and stuff, and yeah, I just think <laughs> they look very cool. That was one of my notes as well. That Simonson sure likes people without noses because mm -hmm. <laughs> they're well, like, like a they're proto. Being a Beta uh, Beta Ray Bill or something. You or know, they're not... being attacked by like ten million Edward Munch's scream, the scream <laughs> people. <laughs> kind of look like that, don't they? Let's mm -hmm. <laughs> just start with, except with ponytails. Well, uh, yeah, ponytails. I wish it was just. 
They should have just drawn one of them with his hands, you know, on each, you know, Michaeli Culkin style. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, did anyone else think the idol that uh, they would all worship looked just like the uh, Mario Brothers Bowser? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it was like a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy weird thing where some sort of, you know, wormhole opened up and they saw like the video game or something. It could be. <laughs> If they ever adapt this to a film or like an animated show or something like that, I hope every once in a while you hear dong, moo, right. <laughs> bloop, bloop, bloop. <laughs> and then, uh, let's see, Scott, you jump in here if you've got other notes because I know you've probably got 15 pages. Let's see, on page 17, I looked at this ship at the top and I thought, that's awesome. And then I thought, it's awesome, but it's not really right. Have we ever seen something like that? So I looked it up. And this is now canon. It's called a TIE lander. It's basically a TIE bomber, but with an extra pod right between the, the two normal pods that are on it. And it's used to deploy, like, you know, Troops. a whole bunch of stormtroopers at once. I thought that thing was really cool looking. I'd well, love you to know see what? It's, it's, it, 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 it's not. It's It's got a little bit of the the prequel troop transport. Very much, yeah. Clone Very troop transport so. things to it. So that's really cool. That's one thing I've you, definitely noticed during this Simonson era is we're seeing a lot more and a lot different styles of vehicles than we've ever seen before. And I really like that. I, I like that we're yep. de seeing different kinds of, of TIE fighters and stuff because that totally plays into Return of the Jedi. You know, when, when we get to Jedi, we'll see some new kinds of craft well, that we've never I, seen before, too. So that's really I cool. I think Simonson probably saw watched the two Star Wars movies and said, oh, okay, I get it. These ships are modular, sort of. You mm -hmm. know, you mm -hmm. can mix and match them for different things, and it's just the general feel of them, you know, two wings and things, round things in between that, that make them what they are. So you can sort of, you know, you could sort of go with it. I'm surprised they didn't make a sort of, like, individual, like, stormtrooper attack thing where they where it was a stormtrooper with a gun with two tie fighter solar panel wings you know mm -hmm. on, on either side of them at some point <laughs> and who else thinks that on page 17 that shira doesn't look like a young princess leia with like one of her one of her hair you know yeah sides of her like oh, yeah, she she's, got the, she's got the bun going absolutely yeah but yeah. In the next one she's got pigtails so it's like i guess it's supposed to be her pigtails are just sort of in motion or something because she's running because on the other I side took it's it loose, that she but... had pigtails and the buns both like the oh, pigtails okay. are coming out of the center okay, of no, the bun. yeah i think you're right you're i think you're right oh see i thought it was like she had the bun in the first panel and like it fell down into a pigtail as she was running but could either be. way it works could be I want to go back two panels to the stormtroopers pouring out of the transport. <laughs> they don't look right. Yeah, their their helmets are a little melty or something. Yeah, I, I had to go. I had to go back and melty is a good way to describe. It. I had to go back and look at the art team to say, wait a minute, was there a third, you know, artist involved in this I, or something? I think just... stormtrooper helmets for some reason were just really hard for everybody. It seemed like. Yeah. I guess so. Maybe it's because they're supposed to be so, you know, uniform that it's hard to draw them all exactly the same, so they end up looking goofy. But there's just been a long tradition of some goofy-ass stormtrooper heads yeah. in Star yeah. Wars comics. Yeah. 
I'm going back a few issues and I'm seeing, yeah, even back in some of the earlier ones, they had some trouble with the helmets too. So I guess you're right. That's a, I was looking at some of the earlier Simonson ones. There's some consistency there. Yeah. It's Walt Simonson's tribute to um, past issues. There you go. <laughs> so again, staying on that same page, um, we're pretty much seeing here that Shear's admitting to being a prostitute. Is that right? When you do what you have to do, I think that's usually the euphemism in comics for yeah. um, for so, yes. So you just answered that question, yes, right? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. I will say I will say yes more conclusively than Scott will, because okay. Scott doesn't want to think of her in those horrible situations. I don't. I, I still want to come to her defense. I don't think there's anything to hold. I see. I don't hold anything against her. For being a prostitute because she's a survivor. She did what exactly. she had to do to survive. It's not her fault. It's not a stain against her. It's a it's a testament to her will to live. Exactly. She like you said, she had to do what she had to do to survive. Mm -hmm. And if I had the credits, I'd have been a John for her. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just for those uh, freebies, right? What's that? Just for those freebies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's trying to help out her economy. That's all. So, <laughs> the battle and everything. Um, I was going to jump kind of towards the end of the battle. You got anything before then, Scott? No, not at all. Okay. Uh, Luke totally um, gives into the dark side here. Dude, uh, it's like you're reading my notes. That is freaky. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Scott, could you move your elbow? The web. The irredeemable shag. Trouble. Remote viewer. <laughs> A remote viewer. <laughs> The, your elbows in the way I can't on. read the next line. But yeah, I mean, I mean, Luke's. You know, they th they think Shear is dead because she went down the rabbit hole here, and then, you know, Luke's like, "All right, let's mow again with the rabbits." Yeah, right. <laughs> let's mow them down. Yeah. These scum were the cause of all this, and we're gonna make them pay in blood. And then you know, it's no good, Luke. Our blasters Very are dry. Anakin only of one him. Yeah. There's only one more thing to do. We'll take some of them with us. And the first one's for Shira. And it's like, wow, dude. You're That's totally, super I mean, Jedi of you, man. <laughs> I mean, I realize you totally want to bone the girl and everything. But, wow, you're just totally down the dark path. Yeah. yeah. You, you, and, you know, Master, yeah, Master Yoda's going to chew his ass out for this shit, man. Well, see, I've actually been keeping track of this. And I, I'm going to continue to track it for, for a while. But, yeah, I, I noted myself that he expresses fear anger hatred and he seeks vengeance so yeah he's pretty much disregarding everything that yoda told him were the paths to the dark side mm, putang leads to the dark side <laughs> that's true by the way oh yeah <laughs> so shiera apparently she can run and start up her ship and fly really fast because like in the matter of a couple seconds she's there in her x-wing Mm -hmm. Well, I always imagine that that things like that that there's a little bit longer time progression than what we're actually privy to, you know, in in the course of the story. But yeah, you're right. It does seem like you know she must be able to get there and and do all that very quickly because only a few panels go by between the time we, you know, we're we're supposed to think that she got. What, is it blowed up or? I always thought that panel looked like it, it was a was an explosion. Just sort of collapsed but, in on her yeah. is what I. I figured. Yeah. It collapses, but it has like a nuclear mushroom cloud. <laughs> it really collapsed. Yep. 
Well, you know, when things like that collapse, there is sort of that dust. It's like a dust yeah. mushroom cloud that comes poofing up. You know, it was that's what I that uh, that's sort of what I. Oh, and yeah, except this one looks a lot like flames. But then again, Walt Simonson likes to draw those weird li liquidy. You know, I love it. It's the same. It's the same effect as around. You know, the edges of the blaster beams. I love that, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I do too. I, the, all the energy beams crackle and stuff uh -huh. as they fly by. That's just awesome. <laughs> well, I like the way Walt Simonson, and he tends to draw it a lot, draws like energy electricity crackle. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that might have been like half the reason he became, you know, was doing Thor maybe because he got to do it like every 10 seconds in there. I mean, I think we called it Simonson Crackle once before. I don't remember. But, yeah, it's. I mean, it, anything with energy just looks gorgeous. Yeah. Just gorgeous. So. I love it. All right, just kind of wrapping up this issue. I had a couple of things that I had uh, made a note of here that I thought were kind of interesting. I love this story that Jim Shooter, um, Marvel's editor-in-chief at the time, tells on the Bullpen Bulletins page. This story about how there was an office uh, party at Marvel and a freaking stepladder blew off the roof of like an adjacent skyscraper and comes smashing through the window and almost took out, um, what's his name? Bill Sankiewicz's, uh, what was it, girlfriend or wife? I think it was his wife. I was like, wow, that's really cool. So if you guys get a chance, hunt this issue down and, uh, and read that story. I thought that was pretty cool. Also, this was at a time when, uh, you know, they would also hype, you know, what else was going on in, you know, the other books at the time, some of the big storylines or good first issues or stuff like that. And there were two that uh, they actually have pictures for on this page that I, you know, favorite issues of mine, which was uh, Fantastic Four 243, which was the Galactus Falls storyline. I always loved that. And that was before I really even understood what a big deal Galactus was in the Marvel Universe, you know, but it was a great, it's a John Byrne issue. And just that full page splash when galactus stumbles and falls yeah, uh, i remember I that. that great great story and then uh marvel superhero contest of champions i know you remember this chris oh yeah i, I remember buying that one from the cigar shop in in carthage and it was my introduction to so many marvel characters that i had never ever seen before like sasquatch probably being the biggest one i was fascinated by sasquatch as a kid and i know that that was the first place I ever saw him, you know, in Marvel. So as a character instead of as a being, right? Yeah, but I mean, instead there, of there a was... half robot and six million dollar man, <laughs> oh, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> but you know, there's there was other mentions in here too of you know some other comics that came out around the same time. But uh, I just those were the the two mostly because they were pictured here. But those were the two that really jumped out at me. Um, and then I thought it was really funny in the uh, letters page. Nothing but praise for that god-awful John Carter, Warlord of Mars storyline that we got in Star Wars 53 and 54. Well, you can't tell me that they didn't get at least one letter that was like, dudes, that was shit. Yeah, yeah. That's when, I was, that's when I started thinking, well, maybe they edit the letters. Kind of <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, wasn't that a was a Claremont story, skew. right? Uh, I think so. I, I believe so. Well, he was a god at Marvel back then. I mean, oh, yeah. So I could see why a lot of people just sort of convinced themselves it was a great issue rather than le uh, reading it. As a, you don't think so? 
No, no, no I'm think, saying, ah, as in, ah, I see the light now, Shag, you've, right. you've illuminated I mean, me. If you read it, if you read, if you literally don't read an, except for one issue a month, whereas we can read, you know, sit down and read all 107 at one sitting if we wanted, if you read only one issue a month, and it's like, wow, okay, that's all I got this month for Star Wars, and you kind of convince yourself, like, wow, oh, okay, that was good. It's got yeah, a Simonson cover, yeah. you know, and. Yeah. I don't know. It, and Chris Claremont, he's no, good, I, right? I think you're onto something. No, I think. Yeah, no, I, I uh, yeah, it, yeah. You put it into a context that it's all you're I, gonna get, so you I can't can. hate it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love this. Uh, there's don't a letter. Talk here about from... that too much. They're gonna accuse us of that with episode one. <laughs> from uh, Ann Kark of Cleveland, what is this Heights? I guess Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Uh huh. Part of her letter here, she says. Uh, I felt all along that Luke and Leia would make a much better and more likely pair than Han and Leia. Since Star Wars is, according to George Lucas, a fairy tale, it would give the story a more fairy tale like quality to have the middle trilogy end with the princess marrying the Jedi Knight and living, living happily ever after. <laughs> relatively speaking, and I'm thinking, relatively oh, speaking, oh, oh, indeed. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> just like they do it in alabama uh-huh that oh. yeah she's in cleveland heights ohio it's not that different there <laughs> and then uh last thing for this issue there's a letter here from john sane where he says uh here's an idea while watching an old movie i had a thought what if star wars had been made 30 to 40 years ago and who would have been cast in the parts and he goes on and on to the you know, listing all these, you know, famous old timey actors, you know, in the, the famous roles of, you know, like Ben Kenobi and Darth Vader and everything like that. And I got to thinking, you know, there actually is such a video that's out now. I saw it not long ago. It was something like Star what Wars Silent Strikes Back was made in the 50s or something like. Have you guys seen that? Yeah, you know I've, seen the, I've seen the Star Wars as a silent film. Oh, I have they, seen that. Where they make it black and white, they speed it up, and they add piano music to it. <laughs> it's no, really no, good. No, this one is where somebody had taken like all these classic sci-fi movies of you know yesteryear, you know all these old black and white movies, and they took the footage from that and they re-edit it in such a way that you know it's got like a cheesy old fifties sci-fi robot as C three PO and right, right, like, hairy monster as Chewbacca and stuff like that. And they do it as if Empire, I'm pretty sure it's Empire that they were they yeah. were doing the adaptation of, as if Empire was a 50s B movie. And it works, and it's freaking hilarious. But, I mean, somebody had to spend some serious time pouring through, you know, the right. old B movie, you know, sci-fi movie archives to find the footage that they found, to link it all together, to make it like an intelligent I can't remember if it's a movie or if it's a trailer. I think it's done like it, a movie trailer, isn't it's, it? It's done like it's done like one of those '50s trailers. Because remember, the '50s trailers were always lots of sensationalism. Yeah. Like, see the monster from the ice cave. You know, right. Whatever. Right. Yeah. That kind of stuff. And it was uh, it was great. And and the, on the YouTube page, the people who did it and put it out there, they list where every scene comes from, and the list is like a mile long. I'm oh, sure. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was really. They they did a bunch of these too. They did a. I think they did an Indiana Jones one. They they did several of these sort of like what if this film was a remake sort of thing. Right. And showed the original trailers and they're just it's a real hoot. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, you guys need to hunt that down, uh, those in the audience that haven't seen it, because it is. It's it's hilarious to watch and the and the meticulousness and time that went into putting it together, you know, you gotta you gotta respect that. So yeah, check that out. 
And that's it for Star Wars number 60. So we're going to take a little break and come back with the next issue. Okay, welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday, number 27, the Shira Bry Saga. And uh, sorry if we've gotten a little uh, verbose and run a little bit long already in this episode, folks. But uh, as you can hear, Shag and I really love this storyline. We're, uh, we're big fans of this particular character and this particular story. So, And I think it's very nice of you guys to call her Shira Bry and not Shira Bree because it is spelled just like the cheese. I actually say Brie. I uh, I was keeping it quiet because I was like, oh, I say it wrong, I guess. <laughs> when I was a kid, I think I said Brie, but I don't know why I switched to Brie. I don't. I get. I I've heard it both ways. I don't know which one is right and which one is wrong or or whatever. But I I know that. Uh, oh, I can't. I can't talk about that yet. I was gonna. Say, I almost spoiled ahead on something. Never mind. Stop. But there's a there's a pronunciation further along with a character that will come along much further in the saga that I'm almost positive that I, I pronounce wrong, but I can't help it. But anyway, uh, I was going to ask real quick, though, Chris, have you read this storyline before? I have. I read it at your house when we were kids because oh, okay. you were you were apeshit crazy about this storyline. Yep. So so you yeah. were like, you have to read this. But I literally. Yeah, when this the the I I think it was issue sixty four where I started picking them up again, so it was I, after I I'd been reading that for that you, a while. Yeah, but I mean there are issues you haven't ever read before, right? Oh yeah, there's plenty of there. Okay. There's issues between now and even when I started buying it monthly that I probably missed and cool. and haven't read. Although the vast majority of issues that I haven't read is behind me now. Oh okay. I was just gonna say you have to have to point them out when we when we hit those particular well, issues. If it's your first time, let us let us know. You know, I gotta right. say, um, there's actually some issues uh, after Return that I've never read. Oh really? So, yeah, I know I know the feeling. So you know, I, I like to follow along when you guys cover an issue. So I'll I'll be reading those as you guys cover them, and uh, I dig. Uh, I'm looking forward to reading the ones I haven't read before. So cool. Cool. Well, I think for for the most part, I think you're you're probably going to be in for pleasant surprises because most all of them are really really yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, so you're going to take us into sixty one, right? Shag? Star Wars number sixty one, cover dated July nineteen eighty two, cover price sixty cents. Scripter and plot is by David Michelini. Breakdowns and plot by Walt Simonson. Finishes by Tom Palmer. Letters by Joe Rosen. Colors by. Glennis Wine, editor Al Milgram. You know, hey, where's Wheezy? She on vacation or something? I thought I maybe she was. She's come along just yet. I, I think no, that's she. Shortly, though. She was our editor for a while. Oh, was and, she? Oh, okay. Yep, and then she disappeared, and she didn't come back for a few more issues. I thought maybe she was off planning their wedding or something, but I don't think Could she's be. still called Louise Jones when she comes back, so I don't think so. And then uh, father figure Jim Shooter, which is great. <laughs> I like that. All right. Uh, the, the issue opens with the Rebel Alliance having an awards ceremony very similar to the ending of Star Wars A New Hope, uh, where Princess Leia is awarding Lieutenant Shira Bree, uh, or Bri, sorry, the Burdine Cluster for her acts of heroism in the last issue. Apparently the Rebels really dig award ceremonies because there's like a million soldiers all lined up, you know, there to get to watch this medal ceremony. There's a nice little verbal banter between Shira and Leia, sort of like a veiled turf war about Luke. Then after it's over, you know, Shira walks down, everyone's clapping and cheering, and Luke 
sort of snubs Leia to go hang out with Shira. So Leia goes back to her room. She's changing clothes. We get a very yummy shot of her undressing yes. and her looking at sort Side of boob. the... Yep, exactly. <laughs> and uh, a little, she's holding like a little crystal memory ball of Han Solo. And, and Leia does ben what all ball. women do. <laughs> Leia does what all women do in this situation. They think about the love of their life. Well, and at the same time, thinking about the other man they can't help but being attracted to. So, I mean, come on. Han's her main squeeze, but we all know how women work. Han's in Carbonite. Luke's her fallback guy. I mean, she knows it. That's her plan. He's on. He's the on-deck guy. And she is totally bothered by the fact that Shira has come and screwed that up for her. So, Meanwhile, anyway. C-3PO is acting on Han's secret programming and coming in and filming her while she's doing all this. And exactly. saving, it, saving exactly. it for later. Like, yeah, post-Jedi, he's like, come here, 3PO. Give me that disc. You know, the one I was talking to you about. Leia, you know, um, Han always acted like he didn't like 3PO, but he had a plan. So yeah. Actually, what he does, he just removes the, in the center of 3PO's chest, there's a Tron disc. He just <laughs> takes that right off. And, anyway. Um, so then then it cuts back to the, this big armada we saw last scene, uh, last issue, and we see Admiral Giel again. And um, after some Imperial rank flaunting, where he, he he busts on a guy for wearing a 1980s painter's cap. We get an explanation of why the Armada is so important. Turns out they're transporting this thing. Its nickname is the Screamer, but its actual name is the Teasel. It's it's this alien creature. It's one of a kind, at least as far as they know. It in based on this drawing, it's in this giant, enormous chamber. It looks to be about 20 stories high. I mean, maybe I've got my proportions wrong, but that's what I'm thinking here. It's pretty big. And, yeah, it, it looks like a white and blue flame. The blue parts, uh, the what you know, sort of like a giant flickering ball of flame, and the blue parts looks like someone went all psychedelic with a spirograph. Well, that's spirograph. what I was going to say. I was it's like the same thing. Yep. It's like the psychedelic spirograph creature. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's what we should, we'll call it that for now. Um, so the psychedelic spirograph creature is an organic communicator. It allows near instant communication across the entire empire. I mean, this is a huge boon. No more having to send a message and waiting, you know, for months for a response or weeks or hours, whatever. Instantaneous communication, no matter where you are in the empire. I mean, Vader could have even been in the asteroid field, you know, when he contacted the emperor. Think about it. Crazy. So anyway, <laughs> the Armada is transporting this creature to what's called the capital. I can only assume that's Coruscant before it was actually named. Uh, we cut back to the Rebel Alliance. They're getting the TIE Fighter Squadron ready, and they're sort of in the docking bay, and this, this tech is explaining, basically, to us, but also to Luke and, and Shira, what's going on. They've modified the TIE Fighters so that they emit a signal that will allow the other Rebel pilots to be able to tell their own allies from the Imperial TIE Fighters. Because so, you know, you're going to have Rebels and TIE Fighters and Imperials and TIE Fighters. You've got to be able to tell them apart. They've also modified the guns to fire six regular bursts. And then after that, they only have one more shot left, and this one shot is an ultra shot. Apparently, the ultra shot will cut through even the strongest shields. Later on, we'll talk about what a ridiculous strategy that is. <laughs> um, so as they prepare for the mission, uh, they, they, Leah, I'm sorry, woo, whoa, Freudian slip, Shira and Luke uh, have a moment aside where they get to talk, and Shira then begins to investigate the inside of Luke's mouth with her tongue. Uh, yes, they kiss, and the stupid farm boy is so surprised, he's got his eyes open the whole time. Idiot. So, anyway, the mission starts. The The Rebels trick a TIE fighter pilot into landing in this secluded area. They jump him. Chewbacca convinces the pilot to share the recognition codes for entrance into the Armada. They get the codes. The Rebel TIE fighters 
then they, they seamlessly merge into the Armada. They slip on in, they get using the recognition codes, they get in there undetected. There's four pilots. There's Luke, Shira, a guy named Alf, not alien life form, <laughs> yeah. but, but Alf. It's like Alpha without the A. And then this guy named Thorbin, who I'm pretty sure we saw before. They launch their surprise attack from within the Armada, and with just a few effective shots, the Imperials are thrown into total chaos. The Rebels continue to use their own signals to tell the difference between Rebel pilots and Imperial TIE fighters. And then after one of the Rebel TIE fighters gets destroyed by an Imperial, Admiral Gear, our, Giel, our favorite guy, he figures it all out. He's like, wait a minute. He figures out that the Rebels have stolen some TIE fighters. So he orders the Screamer, this Teasel creature, to transmit interference, which blocks all signals. Now the Rebels cannot tell Rebel TIE fighters from Imperial TIE fighters. They're in a pickle here. Thorbin's TIE fighter gets hit. He pulls out. Um, does not get destroyed though. So, um, somewhere in there, I, I skipped it, but Alf's TIE fighter got blown up. Poor Alf, you know, he was going back to Melmac anyway. <laughs> so, it's le- it's down to Luke and Shira, and they're the only ones left in the battle, and they've got to destroy the Screamer. Um, they don't really address the implications of it being a living being, but you know, if they don't destroy this Teasel creature, you know, this the Empire's isn't gonna Star Trek, man. Exactly. They're, they're going to use this creature against them, and, and the Empire is just going to dominate. So, anyway, Luke's lined up. He's all set. He's going to destroy the flagship, or at least that portion where the Screamer is. And there's one lone TIE fighter between him and the flagship. Luke isn't sure if it's a friend or foe, because the Teasel's got all this interference going on there. So he calls on the Force. He asks the Force to give him an indication if it's a friend or a foe. Force gives him a very clear signal, says, boom, it's a foe. Luke shoots and destroys the TIE fighter. So then he's used up his standard shots... He uses the Ultra Shot to destroy the Screamer and a very large chunk of the uh, Imperial flagship. It's this huge, massive explosion. Gil does survive, and he is pissed off. So, with no energy left in Luke's guns, he's zipping out of there, has to do some mad, crazy flying to get out of there. But, after some sneaky maneuvers, he does get out. Luke returns home, happy as can be. You know, it's, you're thinking this is going to be sort of a replay of the end of A New Hope, where Luke gets out and yells, Carrie, and everyone celebrates. It's, yay, you destroyed the Death Star, you know, whatever. But for whatever reason, everyone is very cold and very distant. You know, looks like what gives. So he's summoned to go see Princess Leia. He goes in there. They play back the flight recorder from that guy, Thorbin, the guy whose TIE fighter got damaged. They play back his flight recorder. Well, remember that last TIE fighter I mentioned that Luke shot down, the one the Force told him was a foe? Turns out, dun, 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 that ship was piloted by none other than Luke's girlfriend, Shira Bry. Luke has just killed his own girlfriend. We have an amazing cliffhanger ending there where Luke is staring at the picture of Shira with uh, basically dying as the ship goes up. And he's yelling, Shira! He's, Next he's issue. Like thinking, I made out with her. We can clone her from the spit. Perfect, dude. Next issue, Pariah. So, and that is issue 61 in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Give us your thoughts on this one, Shag. Okay. Um, this is one of my favorite issues. Um, yes. We talked about our love for, for this for this run of issues. And it maybe, I guess it kind of goes back to whenever you first really get into a topic. Like if you really got into the John Byrne Claremont X-Men, that's your favorite era. Or if maybe you got in during Jim Lee's era, that's your favorite era. But I mean, this is these four issues to me is the is the best of the best of the whole Marvel run. But that's just me. This issue just love The cover's gorgeous. It's this awesome uh. shot. Of a Tie Fighter on its side, and it's, yes. yeah, I guess it's supposed to be Luke. Um, he looks black here, in though, in mine, but whatever. It's, and he's it's firing got the t- that Frank Miller Klaus Jensen yeah. shading look to yeah. it. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, the Tie Fighter's clearly doing like a barrel roll, and we're catching it on its side. 
and it's blasting. Yeah, it, What's I'm up? sorry, Shag. I don't mean to interrupt you, but again, but it, yeah. it, it could theoretically, it could be that dude. What was it, Alf? It could be him though, because it's got a Tie Fighter reflected in the windshield, <laughs> coming straight at him, firing its weapons. So that's totally this, true. Yeah, it's got some awesome uh, Simonson crackle. I mean, it's just yeah. In the pilot, he's not even like sitting normal. He's like he's sitting like leaning to one side, like he's juking and jiving with the ship, and it's just oh, such a great cover. Um. Well, I don't want to dominate the conversation. I just, I think it's funny the Rebels love their award ceremonies. That cracks me up. Well, here's what my thought on that is. Why the hell are they giving her an award ceremony for what happened for saving the day? She's, she basically got them out of a situation she got them into. Got them into, that, yeah. That's they a great point. never had to be in, in the first place. And she comes back and she, she should get a reprimand. She should be like, they should be like, what the hell were you thinking? You endangered all these people to drip blood on there you better kick some ass in this battle it wouldn't be like let's give you a let, let get everybody out we're having another award ceremony i never even thought about that you are so right yeah i i didn't i'll, I'll admit a lot of this reading it as an adult you know there, there's a lot more uh stuff i'm catching now that i won't say ruins it for me but it, it, it knocks it down just a peg but reading it as a kid, yeah, it was definitely something I didn't think about at all. But what yeah. I, what I see it as here is it's a storytelling technique to build Shira up just right. that much more. Well, for you the see everybody just loving it, her you know? in that. You yeah, know, everybody's all, looking do. at her adoringly, and and what's know. funny, you know, as we pointed out a while ago, I mean, she really just kind of popped into existence a handful of issues ago. But I, you know, it's weird that you know, looking back on it, you know, here as we've seen, we have the evidence right in front of our eyes that she just kind of pops in, and all of a sudden she's written to be a very important character. And it's hard for me to let go to that childhood perception of she was around a long time, and that it was a slow build with her and Luke developing a relationship. And it really wasn't at all. Well, it was. She just popped and in, and, and all of a sudden she was all over Luke and you know, developed over just a handful of, not even a full year's worth of issues and then killed off. And it always felt huge. It always felt like, wow, they killed off one of the major characters of the, of the series. And that's really not the case at all, but it's just masterfully done the way that, that well, she was time very also quickly was brought different in. to us at, at that age oh, yeah. and, and having a month in between yeah, every right. issue. You see what does it for this, this one is, of the original, the movie adaptation of Star Wars, you know, one through six, my favorite as a kid was always number six because it was the space battle. Right. It was the ships. And, I, and, and it's, it's, you know, when you get the ships right and stuff, it just looks really cool. And this one, a good chunk of this comic is space battle. And it's not just well done. It's awesomely done. You know, when I, things blow up, they blow up. They just look, everything looks great. You know, he it, it's mm -hmm. the, the everything's proportioned right. It looks like a Star Wars space battle. It's very detailed, and that's dog, that's why I've always loved this issue is because it it was yeah it was very Star Wars space battle. You know. The dogfighting on page nine, to me, that's the best that we've seen since the adaptation of the first movie. I, I think it's gorgeous. It, you know, 
everything like you say it's proportioned correctly the ships are drawn accurately it's really some nice stuff and i like it that it's not just straight up ship explosions that you're actually seeing like parts of ships being blown apart like wings being blown off tie fighters and stuff that's very cool on page nine going back to last issue where where um i i can't remember if it was you or shag that pointed out the star wars sketchbook Mm -hmm. um um, now I'm trying to think of I was the the one I've got is called the Star Wars portfolio and it's full of yeah. McQuarrie paintings and right in the middle of page nine that shot yeah. from behind the head of You're right. someone in the Tie Fighter is right out of that Star Wars portfolio one of my You're favorite right. paintings which was an over the head Tie Fighter shot he totally... I was really impressed with the shading on that particular panel yeah. like I don't know whether you yeah. zip a tone or what but it's just really nice yeah yeah. It is. It's gorgeous. And this is, I, I think this is Walt, this is like the height of the Walt Simonson in his Walt Simonson realism mode. You know, mm-hmm. this is what, this is what defines, you see, I like, I love page like 13 with the, with the, just that huge shot of the, the, you know, Star Destroyer with one corner of it blowing up. Fakoum. Yeah. And there's just a great, feeling of size and and weight to it you know that that was you know what you know we've become so used to it but that's what made the movies as you would see these things and they looked like the huge heavy things made out of metal mm-hmm. and uh and all that is captured just just perfectly in this and yeah it's it's funny what it one of my other notes is what you mentioned is also about the screamer thing monsters. Yeah. This isn't star Trek. No, nobody ever, <laughs> nobody has a moment of compassion. where like, they're like, if it, if this was star Trek at some point, the screamer would screw up everybody by like sending out a signal going, I want my mommy or something like that. <laughs> no kill. Yeah, there, yeah. There'd totally be some communication with it. Absolutely. Yes. But not in Star Wars. It's just like, oh, the Imperials got it. Kaboom! <laughs> yeah, go blow it up. <laughs> I love it. Well, I like this as sort of a, other than the cliffhanger, it's another one and done, but it's continuing the, the, this overarching plot that's been going on now for like I don't know three four issues. I, mm-hmm. I love that again, one and done, because that's what you know back then is what we needed on a monthly basis. Uh huh. Right. So, that's that's great. Yeah, what kinds of you got, Shag? I got a bunch, man. <laughs> go on, go <laughs> ahead. Go, if you want to go page by page, we can. Um, I, I do like early on when when Leia's looking at the little I don't know what, I don't remember what Chris called it. it was funny though the the little memory ball Hans ball. Hollow sphere is what they call it here. Okay. So you know, she's playing with Hans ball, but um, I just <laughs> it was a good nod to tell the reader. By the way, Leia, you know, remind them of what happened in Empire. You know, it's just a nod to say, hey, Han's still alive and breathing in this series, even if he's not in the adventure. And I thought that was kind of cool, just a nod like to that. I remember that as a kid even realizing that. I like that a lot. However, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the nitpicker in me has to beg the question, how exactly did she come across a, a hollow sphere of Han Solo? When did they have time to, <laughs> for her, her to go pose now, you know? Well, why would they, she? I mean, because they, they were never, both yeah. very standoffish at the beginning of the oh, Empire. Yeah, well, they didn't. Back. They didn't admit their love for each other till he was just about to get dipped into the carbonite. You know, right. talk about blue balls. 
Well, she actually stole this from one of Han's ex-girlfriends. What you don't see is the next shot is like Han on a beach with the Zelton, and you know. <laughs> yeah, <there's>... exactly. <laughs> so. Uh... It's the Paris Hilton tapes on. Yeah. Exactly. You know what? For the side boob, I can forgive just about anything, though. So. Yes. I mean, I, that just wow, yummy. Now, in in your reprint that you have, is her side Here boob is got... it colored flesh uh, color? You you. you, were... you, you... Just one millisecond ahead of me, Scott. <laughs> no, it's uh, the, there's white cloth draped okay, right there. I mean, yeah. You can still see her shoulder and her back. I was gonna go on and say, oh, you can it's, see the nipple, but anyway. It's side boob, but they didn't color it. Fle- <laughs> but they didn't color it flesh color. That's yeah, exactly what red, I said. It's my red pen. There it is. Okay. Is, is it fle- <laughs> is it flesh colored in y'all's version? No, it's white. No, it's uh, white. Okay. All right. But um, I have a vivid imagination. Oh, very vivid. Yeah, me too, buddy. <laughs> I dig that. You know. Oh, well, you know, I take that. I don't really dig it, but whatever. The whole jealousy with Luke, I mean, I really, you got to make a call. Is it the Force warning Leia for something, you know, trying to give her a hint about something, or is it total just Luke's her on deck guy? You got to wonder. It could be played either way. So uh, I choose to think that it's uh, the on deck guy jealousy, but whatever. I think the Force is kind of a prankster and (laughs) would love to get the two of them in bed. Hey, I mean, the force told Luke to kill Shira. What's up with that? Yeah, right. So, it's obviously, <laughs> the force it's obviously is laughing its ass off right now. Exactly. <laughs> he shot his girlfriend and he made out with his sister. <laughs> I'm going to make him shave his ass and walk sideways next. It's going to be awesome. Ben Kenobi's like behind behind a corner snickering. Yeah. You must listen to what the force tells you, Luke. <laughs> you so, must do what you f- feel is right. <laughs> Alec Guinness just snickering away. Yeah. No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. <clears throat> totally, Luke. I'm absolutely serious. <laughs> Quit screwing around. Go do Leia. Um... <laughs> So is this supposed to be Luke and Shira's first kiss? I think so. That's retarded. Because she's basically saying, if we die, you know, I've got to make sure Wait a minute, why is that, that retarded? You know it's a time of Because war. it's not Shag. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even joke about that. It will fucking end you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, um... I will bleed you. <laughs> hey, this has been going on now for eight or nine months, you know, in comic book time, which is a long damn time as a reader. And th- they've been pretty Luke much. may know how to fight and stuff, but what the hell does he know about girls, man? He was on tattooing where, like, you know, <sighs> God knows what he was right sticking now. it in before, you know, he was, you know, before he <laughs> Wait, got what taken off world. <laughs> you know what I just said. You know, there's some sort of little creature running around the, the farm. Well, he talks about Gundarks all the time. Yeah, right. There's oh, some Gundarks that were scared shitless of Luke when they saw him coming. They're just like, ooh, scatter. Somehow this just isn't the show I had pictured. You know how those farm boys are. He did. They didn't have sheep, but there had to be some tattooing equivalent. So what does he know about about girls? He's clueless, and he's still probably mooning over Leia a little bit. Oh and that's not what I thought he meant when he was talking about bullseyeing womp rats. But you, there you go. <laughs> oh, okay. You brought it home, sir. You can say what you want, but you just took it to the next level. <laughs> Didn't he, so that so he referred to his like what was it the t, with his T sixteen or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, right. That that's what euphemism? I call mine. Do we have a new euphemism here for? Absolutely. Uh, awesome. 
Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I would, I assumed that Luke and Shira had already been knocking uglies, you know, bumping no. uglies by now. He was too clueless. No. Nah. She time had to of, grab him and take him for him to even know. In a time of war, people, relationships come together very quickly. So. Yeah, I, like, I actually like it more like this. I like it more innocent that, that it was just developing that, you know, stupid dumbass farm boy Luke Skywalker was finally realizing, duh, girls. She likes you know? me. Right, yeah, exactly. Right at the very time that, that this would happen to him. You know, she says I, I'm I like cute. that. I think it somehow it, it makes it more poignant, you know, what, what happened to her. What, what he, blows, he did what he, to her. What he you know? blows the shit out of her. Yeah. I really yeah, do. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> let me see. My my next note was uh, I love this shot of the Imperial Armada at the bottom of page four. That's just a great, great shot. Okay. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> I had to get to it. <laughs> I was like, oh, through. crap. I'm on like, page oh, yes. 15. Shit. It was on the page we were just on. Yes, that's a classic Star Wars shot. It's yeah. actually more of a classic Empire shot because in Star Wars they didn't mat that many, you know, um, starships together. But this one they, yeah. You know, I had I had noted down Wikipedia that somebody goes through these issues and makes a list of like all the ships that are in each issue. Oh god! This one, I didn't even bother because I was like, God, can you imagine that this... if somebody actually created like a listing for each and every one of these Shit. real funky looking ships? That's I don't even want to know. And I'm <laughs> trying to figure out if some of these are just a star destroyer at a distance or, you know, uh, you know, is this another one of those ones? Cause some of the ones as they get smaller are just sort of, Weird Blops. blobby shapes. So yeah, yeah, it would be a it would be a exercise in pointlessness. I think personally. Right. All right. I think the one if, if you look at Giel's Super Star Destroyer thingy, right? Uh huh. Look above it and a little bit towards the right. There's uh -huh. one that's going up at about I don't know like two thirty, you know, sort of uh -huh. angle. And uh -huh. that one I looks straight out of Battlestar Galactica, man. I think that's a ragtag fugitive fleet. Well, that's ship. what yeah, I was gonna exactly. say. This is yeah. definitely a ragtag fleet. Yep. So very much so. I'm surprised they didn't put like the Moonlander in there just to be jerks or something, you know. <laughs> I was the, looking the to see if I could see like the Enterprise or, or something because they do right, stuff or like Klingon that. Ship or, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't see anything that looks like it's directly taken from another side. All the way down at the bottom in the corner next to the page four, there's something that looks sort of like a pregnant Klingon bird of prey, yeah. but that's about it. <laughs> Yes, it, it looks does. like a bird of prey mixed with a turkey or something, but yeah. a bird exactly of prey mixed with a bird of food. <laughs> what else you guys got? Um, bottom of page six, and this may be colored different in your reprint, but bottom of page six, that last panel. It's easy to flip past that, I think, and not think anything of it. But when you, if you kind of linger over it for just a second. I think it's actually beautifully colored and shaded. It, it kind of reminds me of the scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where the sun is uh -huh. setting. You see Indian profile. It's very similar to that. I love this the way it, that this is lit. It's very simple, but he puts a lot of depth to it. You know, yeah. With just the, the the cables like going up up out of the screen. Where is it? No wonder the Emperor sent an entire armada. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Okay. Uh, it does just, look yeah. It does look kind of Indiana Jones. I see what you mean. 
I like that. I There's think some that's nice really shading on the next page subtle. on Luke's face too. Yeah. Yes, there is. It looks very, uh, very about. reminiscent to me of uh, of Colin's work on that uh, Nathaniel Dusk. Oh, you're mm. right. I can, you're I can see that. Seeing more pencil than ink in that. I think I, I like that. It looks really nice. Yeah, I noticed I like, that too. I like the made up um, technician gear. Yeah, that yeah outfit. Up, like, uh, yeah. G.I. Joe guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Snow job. Saturday morning cartoon or something. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. <laughs> a mask guy, or something. Yeah, I was going to say, the guy from Mask is in Star Wars. It's crossover. <laughs> Buy Mask, coming in May. When I hear Mask, I think of Rocky Dennison. Who that? Lost Do you me, remember dude. Mask, the movie with Rocky oh, the movie. Hair? The guy with the face, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The guy with the head. <laughs> I was thinking of uh, Mask, you know, the, the, the comic. Jim no, the, the the cartoon. After, oh gosh, I was gonna sing the theme song, but I can't remember it all of a sudden. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. Had like. Stop me if I'm getting too far ahead in the notes here. Um, page ten. I love this almost like Spider-Man effect with with the the Tie Fighter pilot's eyes. How they they actually stretch in the helmet as he realizes he's face to face with a Wookiee. I, I thought that was because great. Chewie was like pulling his uh, like. I was thinking maybe they think the maybe I always thought the stormtrooper outfit was like hard plastic, but then I was right. thinking maybe it's supposed to be like rubbery. And Chewbacca's just like mushing it over this guy's face. It could be. He, he could be about yeah. to pop him open like a beer can. I don't think it's more. I, I you know what you're saying, like the sort of anime thing or like a right. cartoon wild take or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's more of like the pressure of Chewie going like, "Hey, little friend." <laughs> I, I have a total. I, I'm more on the the animation side of it because I actually Scott's probably looking at my notes now. Because that is my next note is the Tie Fighter pilot. I love that little bit where, you know, the, the panel above it, Luke sort of limp wristedly is holding the gun off to the yes. side. Like, you know? I love that little look. It's just so cool. It's like, oh yes, ha ha ha. I'll do my nails. And then um, the thing with the helmet, I, in my, I'm firmly in the camp that it's an animation sort of thing. And and this is to me, this panel. What I was going to say even is that this demonstrates why comic books work so well sometimes. Yes. Because there's no way in a TV show. Unless you've got the bendable helmet, like you suggested, Chris. Right. But it, it, if it's assuming it's a solid Stormtrooper helmet, there's no way you could do this in television or movies or anything and get the same emotion. You know, it's like right. Iron Man. Iron Man all the time, you can tell what emotion's on his face, but the right. mask isn't supposed to move. It just it works beautifully here. Yeah, the totally droopy, f- terrified eyes. Like, oh, he's gonna, Chewbacca's going to eat me. And you've got the uh, sort of, yeah, the sort of meek. It, it, it makes it just, gives that a sort of... Um, a meek and comical, you know, almost like he's giving that sort of shit-eating grin, you know, of just like, hey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You wouldn't hit a guy with glasses on, would you? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I used to get hit every time I said that. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is the first time in a couple of issues that we've seen Chewbacca as well. Yeah, he hasn't been around. It seems like in the, yeah, he hasn't been around, and he doesn't get the lines that he used to yeah. have. He gets a know. line here, which is the exact line that I utter whenever I puke into the toilet, which is "brrrg." Yeah. 
Well, Chewbacca but it's not was as there. good as Grungau and a lot of his, you <laughs> know, you know <laughs> stuff like that. That Mark. Yeah. <laughs> it's not his Oscar-nominated lines. That's right. For sure. <laughs> Chewbacca was around in the Bizarre issue, the one where they got the Tie Fighters. He was off threatening that guy Jackson or whatever he was, or not Jackson, but the the little yeah. shifty Tie Fighter salesman. He was there to threaten yeah. him. So mm -hmm. th this is two times in a row where Chewbacca's basically just been used as muscle to threaten people. Well, I mean, he was Works sort of me. he was used in Star Wars as that. Han would use him left and right as a as a threat, you know. True. Very true. Well, um, oh, go ahead. My next. Well, I was gonna, and maybe you've got the same comment because we're still apparently working off the same notes. Yeah, I know. Uh, the, the thing I love about this bit is they're stealing codes to insert themselves into the fleet. Mm -hmm. So, hmm. Stealing codes you can transmit from your ship so you can seamlessly get by Imperial ships. Mm -hmm. Sound familiar? Yeah, that's mm -hmm. Return of the Jedi. Yeah. yeah. So yep. once again, David Michelini is, is tapping into that, uh -huh. you know, whatever it is, the, the, the Lucasism of what's to come. We saw it with the Tarkin where or it was going to be Or Lucas was Star. stealing stuff from the comics when he was writing <laughs> his... Uh... Dude, I have been trying to track Mick Michelini down. And again, I'll put on an appeal to our listeners. If anybody knows out there how to get a hold of this guy, please put me in touch because I've been trying to get in touch with him because I would love to talk to him about... About uh, how they approach... how he so approached much this, yeah. stuff from his era winds up in Return of the Jedi. I mean, yep. a lot of stuff. You know, the using the forest, uh, you know, forest planet as a base. This thing with the codes, cute little furry animal allies. I mean, you know, in a couple of issues, we're going to see a scene that's directly out of the part where they get caught sneaking into the bunker, trying to sneak into the, you know, stuff like uh -huh. that. There's a bunch of stuff that winds up in the next movie. So you got to wonder what was going on behind the scenes. I would love to talk to him about that. Well, I'm sure every time they got a, you know, a script for approval, Lucasfilm was probably like, shit, how did he know we're going to do that? Yeah. You know, so um, what was your next thing, Scott? I'm way ahead on page 20. So if you've got anything before that, run with it. Well, right as they're getting ready, to, as they've slipped into the Armada, there's this nice sort of profile shot of each one of the pilots. Yeah. And each one's got a different symbol on the helmet. And it's just a little touch. But I liked it because you remember in Star Wars, Luke Luke had that what eventually became the Rebel Alliance symbol on his right. helmet. But everyone else had different symbols. It was just a symbol. It wasn't like this is our symbol. Mm -hmm. It was just a generic symbol. I always got the I always got the um, impression that you know everything the rebels had was thrown together from mm. different thi you know okay. from different things. So th these could be helmets that came from like you know some planet's military you know ship ship and you know one of them's got stuff from engineering and one of them's got something from the science wing but it doesn't matter they're <laughs> all just they're helmets you know and they need helmets right. for each ship so they you know i'm totally on board with what you just said absolutely and i like that simonson took the time to do that where he put a different symbol on everybody's mm -hmm. helmet i thought that was pretty cool I just realized something that, you know, except for Lando Calrissian, we really don't see many black people in Star Wars, and almost every time they get blowed up. That just seems wrong to me somehow. <laughs> what are you elf, talking about? Yeah. This the what, And then there's elf? that dude in... Well, Alf, see, Alf seems to be only black <laughs> from the nose down. 
is what but I can't figure out what his deal shading. is. He's some sort of weird it's like striped Chiron or some visor thingy. I actually like that. I think that's a nice touch to show the color diffusion or whatever the hell you call it. You know. Yeah, the yellow goggle things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, it's cool. Uh huh. Well, everybody else is the same color goggle to face. <laughs> <laughs> so, so i don't know no you look ahead on page 14 that racist. last panel luke luke's visor thingy what? is yellow no walt simon no, there it is this. Yep. They're racist. absolutely glennis, glennis wine. wine is a racist glennis wine Great. we'll get a letter from she doesn't care. She By the way, real quick, total people. aside, not going to spend any time on it, but I, I, I mentioned I'm reading the long time ago trades. The introduction for this one, since we're talking about you know Lando and black people and everything, is by Jeff Johns. And the first thing he wrote here is Lando kicks ass. So I just. Wait, uh, Jeff Johns wrote the introduction? What the hell does he have to do with Marvel's Star Wars? Absolutely nothing. But. He feels like yeah. he, lo he loves Jeff Johns. I mean, he loves Lando Calrissian. He probably loves Jeff Johns too. But anyway, it just—I love that. It was great. Lando kicks ass. So <laughs> I had to figure out a way to work that into the story. It was pretty, pretty, pretty big reach for me to work that in. But um, before we get to twenty, the, the screamers' influence—that where it could block the transponders of the ships—I really dig that. It's a pretty—it's a really good plot device. The the other side, flip side of it, the the ultra blast where they have you know six regular shots and then one ultra shot is fucking retarded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, why not just rig them <laughs> up with some different kind of of gun with a battery attached to it so they don't have to worry about like all right, you know, once we blow off the big one, we're barely going to even make it well, back. Well, you know, it's now that you, you point that Whatever. out, yeah. It feels very 80s video game to me, but I'll be damned if I can think of what video game did that. But you know, now that I now that I really get to think about it, wasn't there like a home Atari game or something that did something there like was a, that? There was a video game. There was an Atari game, yes, where you'd shoot, and if you held the button down longer, it would be a more yeah. powerful shot, what the but hell you would game drain was that? Your, But I can't remember what game yeah. it was either. Somebody will know out there because yep. everybody knows video it is a very, games. It is a very, and I don't mean to be so harsh everybody on it except us, to say apparently. what I said, but I mean it's it's always bothered me. Like, oh, really? Right. Come on. That next to the last panel on page nineteen, um, actually, I think that's taken right from near the end of the Empire Strikes Back, where the the Falcon was teeny tiny and streaking along the side of the uh, Super Star Destroyer. Uh, I bet you're right cool i like that it's always one of my favorite shots in the empire strikes back oh it's a great shot yeah i love i love the general or admiral whatever his name is right above it where he's so pissed off and he's like bring me his head <laughs> bring me the head of Luke skywalker it's a great yes. angry shot i just thought that yeah. was really well, cool well i think from this point on the whole look of it gets a little more yeah. like open and comic-y i just and and it it has like just a slightly different feel, but I but that I like, but it's it's almost like there's a little different feel yeah. to these last few pages. Starting I think with that, Palmer's I don't know what doing it is. a little more on the art chores than possibly Simon is. Uh, Simonson mm. is at that point. Yeah, it could be in, it. In, in I, I noticed pages. that like where where Luke's pulling the handle to jump to hyperspace. I mean, that's a very comic book. Yep. Panel. That's right where I was going too, because that's where yes. my next note yes. is. Is uh, I would not give those two panels up for anything. I think it's beautiful. I love that shot 
of Luke pulling the hyperspace level and then the shot of the of the ship actually going to hyperspace. And forgive me, this is my most nitpicky nitpick of the whole issue, but um, <laughs> TIE fighters can't go into hyperspace. I just th thought that I should point that out. Yes, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right, they're local. It could be specially unless modified. these ones, you know. Yeah, I guess they could. That could. That's very possible. But you know, that was established right in the very first movie that they were basically scout craft. So, like I say, I know I, I knew it was a nitpick, but I had to point it out. I thought you were going to say something like the hyperspace handle is always on the left hand side. <laughs> no, I'm not that bad. <laughs> exactly. He's turning it counterclockwise instead of clockwise. If he was turning it clockwise, he would be going backwards, and the deceleration right. would. I have it's great. It's just to ridiculous. One. But all right, I just gotta say it. Fuck the both of you. Okay. <laughs> all right, but Scott, you gotta step back in the situation and look. You know, one overly zealous nerd making fun of another overly zealous nerd really doesn't make a right. So it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, there it's called it is. The podcast is what that's called. The the only problem I had with that is when he went into hyperspace, the hyperspace effect might have been I wouldn't have chosen to make yeah. it look so much right. like the yeah. screamer, you know. And so to, so it it's 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 weird. It just kind of it could well, be dude, confusing. Those graph like kids probably a, weren't cheap back in the kid. day. You know, he had to get his <laughs> Paying little Spirecraft kids in Taiwan I, to draw these things for him. <laughs> exactly, and it like it, it actually they were so decadent that they had kids that they had like chained up to poles with ropes on them, and they would make them walk in circles and just sort of prod them, and then that's how they would get these patterns. That's how they, that's how they do circles. that shit okay. in China. Um, page, exactly, page seventeen. The it, um this is a very Star Warsy thing is, to me is like paying extra attention to a an explosion and this right. is the one where Shira gets blown up you know, but that it's it's like the la in the Ben's death in Tie Fighter attack sequence in the movie the last, you know we see a bunch of Tie Fighters get blown up but the last one we see in this sort of loving yeah. like kaboom and it goes in three stages and stuff and that's what this is sort of done like. He really, it's a great drawing of an explosion. I love when they draw him like that so to where it looks like almost the center yeah. of it's like white hot, you know? And and I thought that was just a really neat thing that he uh, paid extra attention to that moment, even though it doesn't seem like much of a moment in the story of it. You know, it just seems like, oh, it's just a scene where Luke uses a force, you know? To, to shoot a TIE fighter. I like the shot of him but, using uh, the force and the TIE fighter being has, in like a photo negative too. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Superimposed. That is, that's really yeah. neat. I mean, the whole the whole page, page is really well done. I mean, like like Chris was saying, it's the, the fact that you can, it's almost like one of those super high-speed cameras took the picture of the TIE fighter. Yeah. Like you can see the debris blowing off of it. It's just awesome. Yeah. Gorgeous. The superimposed yeah. red TIE fighter to show yeah. Luke using the force and then the ridiculous ultra shot at the end. and Chris, that uh, that shot, the fourth panel, page twenty-one, that shot of Luke right there. Tell me that doesn't look like a certain ex-girlfriend of mine. Wow. He does. He totally looks like a girl right there, but he looks like a very specific girl. Now that I, I really get to paying attention to it. I'm squinting my eyes it. and looking at it, and not seeing I'm it. Past that, then. No. <laughs> I was just gonna no, say, don't don't no. don't say her name because no. if she actually is a listener, that's just you telling her that you 
You were like, no, I wasn't. Skywalker. <laughs> no, I want to make that up. perfectly clear. It's... All right, I think I think you did it's... make it perfectly it's... clear. <laughs> 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 yep, you suck pretty secret. much. <laughs> if any of Scott's ex girlfriends <laughs> rest assured, it's not you he's talking about. It's. <laughs> It's right. one of the myriad of other girls, the women, to all the girls <laughs> Scott loved before. All right, I'm jumping forward to the last panel unless you guys got something. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Please the ones keep... that look like Luke Skywalker. I'm going to go after a couple more refrains of Chris. <laughs> <laughs> all right, last panel. Uh, I love the like wall size screen, you know, of showing the ship blowing up and all that jazz. I love Luke's pose of him, you know, kind of action oriented, screaming Shira. But I love the best is the shot of Shira. For no apparent reason, it looks like she's got a bullet through the head too. It's yeah. almost like to reinforce, oh, she's dead. Yes, you know? right. Yeah, very much so. Why her visor cracked at that specific spot? <laughs> Just You're you right. know, it looks like Luke popped a cap in her ass. <laughs> <laughs> when you read this though first time as a kid what did you i mean what was the impact to you i mean was this huge because i mean this was huge for me oh yeah you know? absolutely it was like oh my god because you know like you to me shiera was an integral part of the yeah. story it, right you know... she was a character right. she seemed like a character yep. that was there to stay she seemed like okay we're gonna write this character and she was have a very popular character, she was you know? a very popular character because yeah, I can remember it, there's at least one letter somewhere in one of the letters columns that specifically says, please don't kill her off. Yeah. It's exactly what they did. Yeah. Yeah, I think we read that in the last I mean, issue. In hindsight, it makes perfect that sense. Episode. This is totally the kind of thing Marvel was doing back then, was, was setting up a relationship, killing the girl for some sort of you know emotional impact. And... But wow, I mean, it totally caught me off guard, totally blew me away, and I was just dying to read the next issue. Like, and all I kept thinking is, why would the Force betray Luke? Right, right. Yes, exactly. The Force has betrayed yep. Luke. Something's wrong, or so, or Luke is some some something's so, like there's been a brain slug right. put on his head or something. Yep. I know something's going. on. And then on. I had to ask my mom what pariah meant. <laughs> That was actually, I'll jump ahead a little bit. That was actually one of my notes for next issue is that that was the first time I ever heard that word, pariah. Okay. Oh, yeah, me too. This is, I was just going to say, this is yep. probably where we all got the word pariah, which I <laughs> just used in a sentence today. Awesome. Something totally unrelated. On Scott's well, you were filling Facebook, out an application it and it said occupation, a, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, no, it was talking about, I basically said, I basically was talking about how all the That's jocks right. in high school basically got to do all the horrible things that they did and all the nerds in were just adored by everybody and were complete assholes and the nerds were treated like pariahs, you know, it treated like they were like some horrible, ridiculous thing when, you know, you had these like horrible people doing stuff, <laughs> but I got to use and the word pariahs. And it comes direct, and it comes directly from this issue of Star Wars. Proving, proving which camp. Proving I'm sure I would have heard it between here and now. Um, but you, you, yes. you were speaking the truth there, brother. About uh, 
Bitter, bitter and biased? Um, no. That's just truth. No, not at all. Yep. yep. That's just the way it was. It's a great man. issue. Absolutely loved it. It is. And just it part is. of this great saga that we're covering. So. It is. Well, wrapping this one up, um, unless anybody else got anything else on this one, I just had a couple quick things. Anything else? Go. All right. In the letters column, praise for hujibs. And correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I know we did a whole episode about uh, number 55, you know, the Pliff issue that introduced the hujibs. But did anybody compare them to Tribbles in that episode? Because I don't remember. I never made a connection between Tribbles and Hujibs. I don't think we did. I don't think we did. I never, you know, I'm I don't recall that either. I never really yeah, thought Yeah, but of in that. this letter page, people are constantly saying, hey, nice callback to the Tribbles. And I was like, really? Because I just don't, I don't see it, you know? It's because they talked that made them something yeah. different to the, than the Tribbles to me. Right. This was a, they were I mean, they're, yeah, they're both cute and fluffy, but I mean, they're, that's, that's about where it ends. Yeah, I think that's a bit of a stretch, but letter after letter mentions hujibs, so I thought that was kind of weird. Um, not really any letters of note this time around, other than I thought it was interesting that there is a letter in here from the Mad Maple. That was pretty cool. I don't remember having seen him write, write letters to Star Wars before, so I thought that was pretty cool. So but he was probably... Was is that the same? TM as Maple? Okay, yeah, I was gonna say TM. That's what I was thinking. Okay, yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, is that what is that what TM stood for? Yeah, the what it was was uh, Marvel at one point passed an edict where they would no longer um, publish letters using pseudonyms, so he stopped using the Mad Maple and just shortened it to TM Maple, and they ran with it. They published all his letters, but I forget what his real name was. It was finally revealed at one point, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's been long dead now. I think I want to say he. He had a disease or something. I forget what the whole story was with that, but he was probably the most prolific letter hack of his time. Because oh, yeah. it seemed like every friggin' comic I picked up as a kid had a letter from him in it, which wasn't true, but I mean, you know, more of them did than didn't, you know, but especially in the 80s. He was everywhere in comics. Him and like, was it Uncle Elvis or something like that? Yeah, Elvis Orton. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, still calling. Uh, the third movie, Revenge of the Jedi. I love that. I still wish hmm. it was the same. I still to this day wish that it was still Revenge of the Jedi, not Return of the Jedi. Eh, Jedi don't take I'm, 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 I'm in the return camp for the name. You know, and I especially really? like that they called it Revenge. I does. like that they called it Revenge it makes of the more Jedi. Sense. I, I like yes. that. It was a nice nod. Yeah. So. It, was a, it was a nice uh, callback, I thought. Just a couple of ads uh, I wanted to point out this time around because, you know, we haven't really had much for ads in, in this era because, you know, we don't have like the hostess or anything like that. But there are a couple. Well, this 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 era of comics, the ads were yeah, as goofy as they were in the old days. A lot days. of like candy uh, and grit and yeah. stuff like that. But that was about it. But uh, yeah, except for the old boilerplates, like right. the, you know the gag gift, <laughs> you know stuff that's been in this it's totally. the same since the fifties. Like, like <laughs> that, that I thought were worth pointing out. Um, both house ads, but both awesome house ads. I love this one; it's one of my favorites. He strikes from outer space, and nothing can stop him. Rom Space Knight, and I love this picture of Rom whizzing through space. It's uh -huh. just awesome. Uh -huh. I love that. And I know uh, Shag doesn't have that in in his reprint, but it is. It'd make it that'd make a great T-shirt right there too. I just reread some Micronauts the other day. Um, I'm still plodding my way through the first 20, 25 issues of Micronauts. And when we were together at that comic shop, yes, yes, I, yes, I did. 
And uh, it had some of those ROM house ads, and uh, like where he's streaking through space, and then eventually he crashes on a plan, and he's kind of climbing out of a crater or something. But it just, yeah. Yeah. I never read ROM, but damn, yeah. those ads are so that. exciting. It, I don't know what it is about it. It's just like, ooh, damn, that looks good. And everyone I know raves about the old ROM comics. If I could find the freaking time, man, I would love to do ROM coverage on a podcast because I've started reading it and I'm doing it very, very slowly. It's like a, an issue like every couple months or something. But I finally completed my collection. I'm determined I'm going to read through the whole series. But I've made it about 12 or 14 issues so far. And damn, is it good. And you know what I like best about it is it brings me back to this era. It reminds mm-hmm. me so much of these Marvel Star Wars comics. You know, in a in a good way. And yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. It's a good story. It's a it's a very big sweeping space epic, and I really enjoy it. So yeah, highly recommend it. About a I, boy, a girl, and a universe. A universe. Uh, by the way, dude, you need to send me your uh, Micronauts want list because I was in another. I, I stopped by that comic shop at that mall, the one that we never made it to that day, mm-hmm. and they've got a. Is it a 50 cent box? Yeah, it's a 50 cent box. And there's a bunch of later issues of yeah. microns in there. So yeah, some of your want lists sometimes. I, I bought them out of there already. They, most of oh, those okay. were double. Most of those were doubles. Yeah, they had like three and four copies of every yeah. issue. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually what kind of that's part of what got me started on my micronauts tear was that long box or short box oh, wow. right there. That's kinda like, oh, look at all these micronauts. Huh. <laughs> that was a nice everyone. shop too. Did you see that yeah. giant hulk they had in the window? It's a gorgeous shop. That thing was cool. I like if I remember it. right, that Hulk was what they shipped to movie theaters. Um, yes. When the when the last film came out. Yeah, it was. He was awesome though. I thought that was neat. It was a nice little shop. I like that place. That was the place that told me that uh, Dark Horse has a um, Darth Vader series coming out. And the guy yes, said it was ongoing, and then somebody else told me it was a mini. But one way or the other, I am totally there for that because if it's half as good. As those purge one shots have been, it'll be awesome because they they have been. Yeah, it's uh yeah, you know what? Hang on, I've got really the previous good. catalog right in front of me, and this is timely information for our listeners. Sure. Um, it is. It's a Darth Vader. I'm pretty sure it is a mini. I'm pretty sure it's a five issue mini. Oh okay. And if you do need to edit to save out a minute or two, because I can't ah, we, flip my fingers here. While you're doing that, I'll mention the other thing real quick that caught my eye here was. Uh, on the bullpen's bull, bullpen bulletins page, this was the debut month for G.I. Joe, a real American hero, number one. And Chris and I were there yeah. on that one, too. Oh, wow. I'm about to put the giant size episode of the, or issue of that really? on eBay pretty soon. <laughs> Yeah, I I got it in that trunk load of stuff that I got. I didn't I didn't buy it for long. And it's yeah, it's the I I didn't even know they made a giant size of it. Yeah, and I didn't buy it for it long, is. and I didn't stick with it. Mostly, I think because of the crappy art, and I was just never much for military comics. But yeah, I, I didn't I didn't like yeah, it. It was it just was. some big deal when it came out but, for yeah. some reason. And I remember buying the first few issues and going, yeah. okay, when is this going to be good? When is Herb Trimpey I think I bought, what was it, the first artist? dozen issues and sold them to your aunt? And I made a freaking mint off of those. She paid me a fortune for mm-hmm. those comics because your goofy cousin wanted them, remember? Because he was talking, yeah. told her they were good. People love those G.I. Joe comics. There's no doubt about it. 
Yeah. Number Lots two was of... a big deal for a while. Well, number one was like one of the first comics yeah. on Baxter paper. Or yeah, something. The, so it was that, that was second issue though that was the that. one that was worth so much money. Yeah. Yeah, they they underprinted it. They they didn't print as many. It was the first one they printed a shitload. And it was yeah. like two fifty. Yeah, was. I can remember that. I think that was the like first that. time I paid that much for a comic. Yeah, it was a dollar fifty. Yeah, I think that was the first time I paid a buck fifty for one comic. And it was oh, like, those were the days. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, yeah. this uh, this Vader comic, it's called yeah. Star Wars: Darth Vader and the Lost Command. It's a five issue miniseries, and. Right. Like Isn't that the title Jones of one of the Zahn story. novels? Uh, Last Command. Last Command. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you're very close though. This comes out uh, starts in January, and it's written by Hayden Blackwell. Uh, Rick Leonardi's doing the art with Dan Green, two really good artists. And oh. then uh, you've got I can't say this name. Sunio Sanda is doing the cover. It's a gorgeous. I'm looking at the cover number three. It's a really gorgeous painted cover. But the, the gist of it is apparently Vader's being haunted by visions of what his life might have been like if with Padme if he hadn't succumbed to the dark side. Ooh. And then also part of the story is he's, he's on a mission to locate um, Moff Tarkin's missing son. So that's kind of what it's uh, about. And it's written by the guy who wrote The Force Unleashed. Huh. So. I'm, all, I'm all about that. That sounds good. First well, issue coming like out in January. Yes. So by the, uh, I guess when people listen to this, first issue will probably already be out. Sweet. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta be on that. That sounds good. Well, I tell you what, let's take another mini break, and we'll come back with uh, the next issue in the uh, in the saga of Shira Bry. Hi folks, Chris here from Two True Freaks. I know a lot of you are looking at your MP3 players now going, what the hell, this podcast's almost over and these guys are only halfway through these four comics they were going to tell me about. Well, here's a funny thing. We talk so much and for so long that we have decided to make this into two episodes. So no need to wait a month or anything we'll have the second episode right up so just hop right over and uh, download that and you can get the rest of your fix of Marvel Star Wars comics for the month of February 